0: where we talk about death through the four prompts of I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week we sit down with Bunsy Savla once again. So Bunsy is a 26-year-old wife, radiation oncology resident, and mother of three ferrets. In the four years since our first interview in May 2016, Bunsy has graduated medical school. Finished her transitional year of residency and begun the road to mastery in the field of radiation oncology. In this conversation, we discuss how and why she changed in those four years, the story of her courtship and marriage, and how it's difficult to choose a death when you know how people die these days. Buncey is a resident in radiation oncology, a wife, a mother of three ferrets, a daughter, a daughter in law, and a neighbor. Before Bunsey dies, she wants to be a master in her field and wants to be okay with where she is. When Bunsey dies, she wants enough time to wants enough time and to be functional enough to say the things she wants to say and do the things she wants to do. And wants someone that lets her wants something that lets her down gently. After Bunsee dies, she wants her kids to be fully functioning and independent people. And she wants to continue to have omniscient powers. In conclusion, Buncey says, (laughs) sorry, in conclusion, Buncey says, laugh, have fun, don't worry, it's all good, even when it's not, it's going to be okay. I really like that, Buncey. So this is a really fun interview. I enjoyed listening to the first interview significantly. Uh, It will probably be at the like hour and a half mark, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, So I'm going to put the first interview at the back half of this interview. Uh, so you can listen to both if you'd like to, you know, a little refresher, just kind of jump ahead and hear where the audio quality kind of changes and then uh, listen there. It was definitely one of the rougher interviews uh, because it was so, it was st- the project was still so young and new and fresh and trying to figure out where do I record, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And then now we do it, do it over Zoom. Uh, very different, but it was, you know, the four years that passed was a fun four years. Uh, to like kind of cover that ground and see how did we end up here where we are now um and how different we are in those in those couple of years so I think you'll like this interview a lot um I just want to let you know that we'll be probably i'll probably be taking a break from the podcast for a little while um you know doing this normal seasonal kind of break uh that I do I'm just throwing this one out there with Muncie because uh we recorded it earlier this in in like uh 2020 mid to early 2020 shortly after the pandemic, like lockdown stuff went down. Um, and so I'll just be taking a break for at least the, the rest of the winter, um, and then I'll sort of see when I come back. But I'll put out a uh, pers- retrospective of the 2020 season uh, sometime in the next month. So look for that in February for you. Anyway, I hope you have a lovely day and you're taking care of yourself and that you look forward to this wonderful conversation with Bansi Savla on death once again. It is September 26th, 2020. I'm sitting here in my uh, Orfield, Pennsylvania home, and Buncee Savla is sitting in her uh, Baltimore, Maryland apartment. And we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Uh, Buncee, what are the four prompts?
1: The first one is I am, and then before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and then after I die, I want.
0: Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt of the I am?
1: I am so I am a resident um, in radiation oncology. Um, mm-hmm. Therefore, yes, I'm a doctor. But like more importantly, right now um, I'm a student actively every day, every second, um, <laughs> a full time job.
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um, what else am I? I am a wife. That's mm-hmm. new. That is,
2: new. Nice. Um,
1: and it's great. And um, I'm also like a very like a best friend of my partner. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been a big change and a wonderful change. Um, I'm a mother of three ferrets for children. That's also a new change as of about a year and a half.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I'm a daughter um, and that role has also changed a lot. We can talk about that and kind of what that looks like. Um, A lot of things are very, very similar about that role, but now that my parents are aging, that's changed a little Mm -hmm. bit daughter-in-law
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh which is really fun uh, i love having like a whole other family um and uh a neighbor um and we can talk about that a little bit more as well and kind mm-hmm. of how that's changed
0: so okay. a lot of things a lot of new things so yeah. um let's start with some fun stuff uh yeah. like let's start with the um wife and the daughter-in-law part um yeah. and just that whole like marriage aspect. Cause that is new. It was, it's a whole, it's a thing that's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. And I think too, it kind of, oh. we can tie it to um, some of your cultural background because I know like wedding, like wed- weddings in that context is a very, is kind of a different prospect and, and it is much more of like a marriage between families um, than yeah. it can be considered in other, like what, mo- like Western culture. Right.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, so, I mean, I think the way that I've always understood Marriage—it's um, it, always been about love. Um, and I think my, even though my parents had an arranged marriage mm-hmm. um, in India years and years ago, um, the love kind of grows. You know, mm-hmm. like you're you're like you're in this together. You're both in the foxhole together, essentially. I mean, that's how it was when they were here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just like getting through all the hurdles of life and surviving, um, it it leads to love. You mm-hmm. know. Um, and really just like having the other person's back, um, you know, no matter what. And it was really funny. My, um, and I never really heard this story firsthand. I'm actually hearing this through Scott, who went to go visit my parents oh, a couple of weekends ago, okay. and they had dinner together. Uh, and my in laws were there as well. And so my father in law was very fascinated with all things like Indian culture. <laughs> um, so he was just like rapid fire asking my parents all of these like questions mm. about you know how they became them and how did they get here mm-hmm. um, and so it was really it was really interesting, so you know, my mom didn't really speak English all that well, uh, and my dad was a very um kind of like feminist in the sense where he he didn't see the roles of the Indian woman the same as like a lot of Indian men do um where in his case you know he was like you're my equal you're my partner um Mm -hmm. and you're gonna work and you're just gonna do it and we're gonna figure it out and you're gonna learn English on the fly so Mm -hmm. good luck see ya Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um very different than than kind of how things that were in those days you know
0: where. Is that part of why they made the decision to immigrate or is that separate?
1: I think that was more separate. So my dad always wanted to go to the US to Mm -hmm. work and have a better opportunity. The jobs were better. I mean, things Mm -hmm. were really competitive in India and difficult. So um, coming to America was always the dream. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And my mom, she was a big adventurous person. Um, She was kind of the rebel child in the family. Mm -hmm. Even though I feel like, I don't know, I've always seen her as more of a rule follower, but then she talks about some of the things that she did and said as a kid. Like, she um, she always, like, wanted to, like, wear, like, this fancy red lipstick, and her dad was like, mm. no, and then he <laughs> did it anyway. Like, she was, like, that kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was like, I'm going to America. And her dad was like, no, you're not. And she made it happen. She just said, I'm getting married. Sorry. Bye. You know? Mm-hmm. um and finally he like was convinced that she was gonna survive um so yeah and then they just ended up coming here my dad got his education and they figured it out you know they just took on life as they needed to and they figured it out and they had to do a lot of time apart uh my mom had to come back to India her dad was really sick mm. uh, actually had me I think shortly after that um in India
0: oh geez oh
1: geez yeah it was crazy it was like a whole thing which uh i don't even really know the full story of that like whenever i asked they're like oh, you were born and things happened and we came back and it was
2: There's, fine
0: i forget what uh comedian who's a, he's a brown guy um like yeah. some indian comedian and he's like you know what immigrants love mm. they love secrets
1: <laughs> they, do. they do they do it's so real and i'm just like so, you know what, I was like, and, you know, my my father-in-law, he's, he's a pathologist, and he's very, he's got this very, he's a very sweet man, but he's got this very commanding presence, especially with my parents, he's just very good about, like, getting what, you know, like, talking to them and, like, getting the answers that he mm-hmm. wants. Um, so I was very grateful that he was there to do that, because, like, with me, they're like, no, I, I don't need to mm-hmm. tell you anything. So, like,
0: what was some of the juice that you got f- through the father-in-law that you weren't able to get through your parents?
1: I think the whole thing about, um, my mom going like straight into the workforce, like I had no idea that mm. like, that was how it went. And like, that was hit my dad's mindset. You know, like mm-hmm. I always kind of thought that she eventually was eased into like getting a job and, mm-hmm. um, that wasn't like a really big priority. But then, um, I learned that like, he was, he was very like, you need to work like. Big it, culture it,
0: shock as quickly as yeah.
1: possible. And I'm sure, sh- I can't, you know, I can't even imagine what that culture shock was like, but I mean, um
0: did your parents come from like small like typical small village or were they more like in the urban suburban area
1: they were in the more urban suburban area okay. yeah they we're in, in like bombay mumbai i guess it's called now um and so they you know my my dad's family was, i mean neither of them were exceptionally rich um, they were kind of in the same mm-hmm. caste or class um which allowed for their marriage mm-hmm. um and, yeah, so and then they're coming to America, where obviously you know my i mean just I can't even imagine the culture shock for my mom because my dad went to school for a little bit before they got married um but for her, I mean, she just dove right in, looked just fearlessly, and there's this lady named Barbara who would help her learn some of these lines like um what was it it was really it was hysterical hearing Scott like impersonate my mom <laughs> um yeah, it was like um, hold please. Like, you know, like that kind of thing. It was just, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so she'd like learn those little phrases. Um, and then slowly, you know, she made her way. And, um, I think she ended up being like one of the administrative assistants or something. Um, she learned English and for like a call center. Yeah. It was like, um, I think it was like a call center for like this tech company. Gotcha, gotcha. Again, secrets. I don't really know all secrets. the details so secrets. here. So many
0: secrets. Okay. <laughs> so
1: many secrets, but Um,
0: So, um, it sounds like through the marriage process and just having an extended family, you're able to like divert, you're able to like siphon off information. Like it's just like, it's like, sounds like it's even deepening your relationship with your parents uh, by just having this other set of parents.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's huge. I mean, I, I think the more for me, it was really important to have the families mesh very well for so many reasons, you know, like I mean, Scott and I are still relatively young. Um, we're still kind of like students essentially. Um, I mean, financially we're still like relatively dependent on our families. Mm -hmm. And so we have so much to learn and, um, so much that we need to be able to do. And we do have to rely on our families at this Mm -hmm. point, you know, um, which I don't know how, how, I mean, I'm sure now a lot of, people our age are still kind of in that phase. But I mean, there's a, there was a time where once you marry someone, at least in this country, like you're not really a part of your in-laws as much. It's a very independent type of thing. You know, like mm-hmm. you're not marrying your family. That's not, not mm-hmm. very well- mm-hmm.
2: um
1: Your family's not getting married. So, uh, which is very different than like how, I don't know, maybe it's like an immigrant thing or I don't know if it's just an Indian thing, but um, the right family chemistry is is really was really important to me um and I just I absolutely adore (laughs) in-laws I I would just like go over and just hang out with them like Scott might be doing something else but like I want to hang out with like your dad
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. well and then so this is the whole thing because we you know you hadn't met Scott in that first interview right like you had met him you had been longtime friends but you hadn't been you hadn't started being together right so like you have this interesting aspect with the in-laws like did you had you ever met them before you started dating or is it only Uh, after dating
1: only after dating okay yeah um I mean I think I knew who they were from like high school like you just kind of whatever you meet them at some point but Mm -hmm. um, no it was my first time like really knowing them um after we started dating Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a very quick we just like I don't know. We had a lot in common. He's hysterical. He's got a great sense of humor, and we just
0: we're like, huh? Father in law
3: is
1: yeah,
0: my father in law. Yeah,
1: we're like,
3: yeah, it's it's great. Um,
0: so so like, um, and so then, what is what was like the whole marriage process like for you, and like the the whole like you know courting, dating Scott, (laughs) all of that kind of stuff? Because we didn't really talk about that, and I think it's just like a fun also because you do kind of have it from a dual lens. Like, it's not just like a, you know, like, you know, for you, it's like a, it's a marriage, but it's not also like, not like a love marriage in like the traditional Indian sense, but it also is because you're it's such, it is like this kind of secondary priority for like the meshment of the families, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um And I mean, I, when I first started dating Scott, I didn't know anything about his parents really, like mm-hmm. what they were like and like how I would get along with them. Um I mean, I just, I, knew him for him from high school like Mm -hmm. and he wasn't honestly it wasn't that different from when I knew him in high school which I loved um I mean we were we were we were friends and in high school and we kind of stayed in touch throughout college um I think we made a pact when I was I think we were both like 25 and we were both single at the time or not 25 I'm sorry we were like 20 something 21.
0: Um, So this was before that relationship you were in in the previous interview.
1: Correct. Yes. Okay, so okay. from, sometime in college, and we had talked on the phone, and it was like that was something we actually did quite a bit ish, mm-hmm. like high school and college. I remember we would talk on the phone, which is, I don't know if that's like a common thing that people would do, but we did. Um, Not from my
0: knowledge. <laughs>
1: yeah, at least <laughs> at our age, it's just like kind of like an old timey thing. I, I don't mm. know, uh, but I, I feel like he's like an old time person. Um, yeah, and so we made a pact that like by twenty five we would just marry each other if we were both single. Um mm-hmm. and then we did. Um uh so
0: <laughs> and then we didn't well, that <laughs> yeah, went away yeah, and I just know. skip over all this you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but the courting process was what was it? So it was very like millennial in the fact that he slid into my DMs. Um, mm-hmm. it, oh, through Snapchat, he awesome. saw that I was like in town. Um, I oh, was like, of course, of I took course. a picture of myself and my mom. We were like on the beach, right by where his house is. Oh. uh I was like, Oh, we're on the causeway. And then he texted me. He was like, Hey, like we should get coffee. And I was like, Hey, yes, we should. So we got coffee.
0: And, and so when was this? What What year was this?
1: This was in like what was it? It was third year. Third year. I like. Okay. Like, yeah, it was like December of third year. So, like,
0: almost two, three years ago?
1: Yeah, I want to say, like, was it 2017? Yeah, December 2017.
0: Okay. okay. And then, how long had you that relationship ended that you had been in first year?
1: Like, six months at least. Okay. Seven,
0: okay. So, you were single, ready to mingle.
1: Single, ready to mingle. But okay. I mean, I just, I wanted to, just, I mean, I hadn't seen him in years, you know, mm-hmm. been, like, mm-hmm. seven, eight years. Of course, of course, of course, person, of course. So, I wanted to, like, catch up. Of course. <laughs> of, course, of, course <laughs> of
2: course, of course, of course, of
1: course. <laughs> I mean really I was like Of course yes yes yes, yes of, course,
0: of course there was
1: no expectations I was stressed <laughs> of I course of course of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> And then he had tickets to um a show
0: mm-hmm. it's like an EDM show
1: mm-hmm. oh, again the EDM Of course of course of course of course of course of course so we went to the show as All very casual Oh no course, moves were course. made Of course of course I had no suspicions whatsoever oh, uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. <laughs>
1: Um and then I went back to Allentown and he went back to Fort Lauderdale for mm-hmm. med school. Um and we just talked on the phone like we used to all mm-hmm. the time. FaceTime now because that's that's a thing now. But now. that like
0: did that like reignite your friendship, relationship? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. for sure. I mean, like he um he left this because we were talking about movies when we met up for coffee and like he's like I mean, some people are into movies, but like he is into movies. He makes lists. Lots of lists. Mm-hmm. He downloads all the movies. He like ranks them. Mm-hmm. He's like, really into them. does so, he have a
0: spreadsheet of some sort? He,
1: he does. He had. He had. I don't know necessarily a spreadsheet, but it was like maybe like a little document of like
0: mm-hmm.
1: all like the um, the Oscar movies of every year. And so <laughs> he left a flash drive.
2: Oh.
1: In my mailbox. Oh.
2: Oh jeez. Oh jeez. In my
1: mailbox, and my mom, my mom saw it, and she was like, "What is this?" oh yeah who is this
0: who is this boy who is this person leaving mixtapes yeah. for my daughter
1: <laughs> I mean it was I I I was just blown away um uh, because it was just so weird you know it's like not a thing that people mixtapes are yeah but movie it was
0: flashy. like a movie it was like it was like a, the movie version of uh, giving somebody a mixtape for yep. that right yeah
1: One of the movies was um, Call Me By Your Name. That was on there. That was great. never Uh, saw it. Call Me By Your Name is great. I recommend that one. And then um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes, I've seen that one. That's a great one. I think I watched that like maybe three or four times off of Mm -hmm. that flash drive. Um, I just loved it. Um, And then I went back off to Allentown and we talked, we FaceTimed. He sent these beautiful, glorious... Text throughout the day, very um poetic.
0: Oh of course. Yes, he
1: definitely yes. has the gift of gab. That's what they you know, they say that about Irish
0: mm-hmm. people.
1: So he de- he has that. Um and I was floored. So uh and then what happened? Oh, I had to go to Clearwater for a conference right around my birthday. Mm-hmm. And and
0: um oh, I was and like, you just had to go. So I just had just to go. This, it was just such a burden.
1: I, I went <laughs> and then he um he drove all night. Uh, the night before my birthday, and then met with me for breakfast on my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like our our first time seeing each other after that initial coffee EDM date.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That wasn't really a date. This of course was,
2: it wasn't. The it, was this a was a, a true date. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that was a true date. We went to this place called Tiffany's.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I got locked. I don't remember. I don't know. I couldn't really remember. Obviously, I was like just so. Swooning.
3: You are
0: swooning the whole time.
1: Person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and,
2: then and so he, by
0: this time, had you, had you a feeling like this was a thing that is different than previous relationships? Like, w- at what point were you like, this is different from what I've experienced before?
1: I mean, I would say probably, probably that coffee date, maybe. <laughs> that,
0: that coffee date, the se- the, the, the <laughs> re-up. Huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that was like, um, that was a big part of it. And then, um, I don't know, it just, it, it happens. Really, I think it was just so natural because I think there was always that friendship there forever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it was just easy, like, it was really easy. There's, I mean, I really didn't have to try at mm-hmm. all.
3: Um, mm-hmm. uh,
1: so, which sounds so cheesy and stupid, but like, I mean, that's just the way it was. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: And so, so you is that sort of when you started to be like, we are, we are dating and we are going to be a thing for a little while?
1: Yeah and I think we start talking about marriage like maybe a month after that. I mean, Oh wow, months. okay. Yeah. The engagement happened like 6 months after we started dating and then we got married.
0: So wait, back up. How did he go did he go about a process of like courting your parents directly and like
1: courting my parents? Um
0: Like how did did he was it just through was it like truly like a love marriage where it was like really like he just he proposed just to you and then he went to your parents and talked about like marriage or was it did he did he like surreptitiously ever like go to your folks and be like hey this is something i'm thinking about because you know reason
1: you know that's a great question i don't know the answer oh, to secrets that. more <laughs> secrets <laughs> but i just i remember having a i like i talked to my own parents and i said i mean i think i might marry this person at some point and they were like mm-hmm. you sure and i was like yep and they are like okay <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was like okay uh it was um I don't know. I think a lot of things are just very cut and dry with everything that happened. Like it just, mm-hmm. there was not a lot of time wasted. It was just, this is what we're doing. And the timing is great. I'm going to be a fourth year. I can plan the wedding and we'll, we'll all be in Florida and
0: just. And legit. you're an only child, right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And so you were planning the wedding, you were doing all these things during fourth year when you're also doing all these interviews and wacky fourth year med student stuff.
1: Yeah yeah it was it was uh i would say the the wedding planning was way more stressful than the interviews um. <laughs> uh,
0: so like i only the i think the only imagery of the of that wedding was just you and Scott kind of sitting that I've ever seen so like how Indian wedding was it like scale of one to like full bollywood how like
1: <laughs> uh, I would probably say like maybe like a three out of ten i mean it was okay. really just the ceremony that was like really, really indian mm-hmm. um. And then the, the actual reception, like we had Indian food, we had um, uh, Indian dancing, mm-hmm. we had a lot of like dubstep, which was great. It was nice. like, okay. it was quite the contrast. Oh, well, I guess um, maybe I'd give it a little bit higher of a score because right before the, uh, the actual ceremony, there was like a, the procession.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's called a barat, which is when uh, the groom and the family, the groom's family comes mm-hmm. walking up to um, where so the all ceremony- these white
0: people. All these white people. All these
1: out. white people. Yes, okay. very white people. Um, in the sweltering December summer mm-hmm. heat.
0: Are they? Are they wearing like suits, or they have they gone full Indian and are wearing like saris <laughs> and stuff? Or like
1: um, so some of the women were wearing like on my side they were wearing saris, but like I mean, everyone else was wearing like dresses or Okay.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Except I'm just trying to build mind. a picture in my mind of like how how much into because like that one thing that I love is like <laughs> I think it was like a. Um, there's another community just like seeing the like white people at indian weddings it's like they're rolling and they're like on molly and they're just like oh this is
2: so cool
0: and then <laughs> they're like really into it um way more than the indian people do because they're so used to it they're like you know what i mean like how how into it did the like uh, yeah so they so there's a sorry so that's was a so there's a procession and then there's a procession
1: so there was a guy on the drums the tabla mm-hmm. so they're like drumming away on one side and then there's just like just like EDM just like blasting from the DJ, like on my, on the girl's side. So it was just like this weird mesh of like, mm-hmm. the like Indian tabla doing it's like thing. And then there's just like this very um, mm-hmm. different vibe coming from the other side. So it was, it was incredible. And um, oh man, the groomsmen, they were, they were something, they were like dripping sweat, just like <laughs> dancing and jumping and carrying Scott on their shoulders. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so much fucking fun. Oh,
3: mm-hmm. so fun.
0: Okay, so that was the wedding, and it was great. And then, uh, and then you were in Saint Pete for a year for your intern year together, while he like kind of starts to, starts getting towards the tail end of med school, right?
1: Yeah, he's. And he's that a, was like your honeymoon
0: period, if you would. Yeah,
1: right? yeah, pretty much. I would say um, the honeymoon period. Yeah, it was just like finally, like being in the same place. First mm-hmm. of all, because
0: um, that was so like prior to living together in saint pete yeah. what was the longest period of time you had physically spent together
3: oh god um maybe like a week
0: a week a week
3: okay.
1: maybe yeah like a two weeks maybe i think
0: and then you moved in and then yeah, it was then in.
1: and it was that was it yeah it, we did it it was great it was mm-hmm. i mean we shared the things mm-hmm. the tasks of the house we got the ferrets mm-hmm. Uh we cooked together we cleaned together um, mm-hmm.
0: So, in like, it sounds like almost in some ways it was like a modern love version of an arranged marriage just because there was such, like, a long courtship process and, like, distance and not quite, like, really being together for a while. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're just, like, really in it together for a while.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's exactly, yes. That's exactly mm. what happened. Yeah. Mm.
0: At
1: least okay. that's my memory of it
0: <laughs> yes yes and we'll, we'll form those stories and change them as we go <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. that's uh, it's one thing that scares me a little bit about aging is I feel like the some of the memories because I mean I mean this this becomes more apparent to me as like when I just talked to Scott about things that happened and then he's like oh I think this is actually what happened I was like oh my god you're right like mm-hmm. I completely misremembered that like it, it's a terrifying thing so now I've started actually like Especially things that are funny that happen, I, I started writing them down. Like mm-hmm. writing down. Where? Uh, just on my phone. Oh, so there's like a little know. phone
0: document of like all these dates and weird, silly things. things. Like,
1: a lot of silly things that happen. Like the other day, um, Becca called me, and uh, we we were just starting to like talk and catch up, and she was like, "Oh, I have to go. I have this toe amputation to do," and I just start like she hung up, and I hung up, and then I just started laughing so hard because it was just like so bizarre. It's like, "Be right back. I'm gonna go do this toe amputation." It's just like. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to some dead tissue from a person. That's just, you know, it was no worries.
1: Just a casual, yeah. And it was just, I mean, of course, like, she's, like, a family medicine resident. So, like, it's not that unexpected. But mm-hmm. it was just the, the moment, like, strange. Mm-hmm. So things like that that happen, I, I've been writing down.
0: Good. So, <laughs> um, as always, medicine kind of creeps in, like, on the through the edges, right? And so um, I think this will be a fun time to bring in the whole identifier of resident, but also to... I think it's interesting because um, like sounds like your folks, there's not a medical like history, right? Like there's no, like not a whole lot of doctors or like a big, like, you know, bit history of that. Um, but right. it sounds like on Scott's side, his dad's a pathologist. He's, he's in med school right now. So he's trying to get into the whole field. So there's like a lot of like that. Um, yeah. And like, how does that, and so it sounds like, are you able to relate to his father and like that, that kind of side of the family and in that way through like the medical lens too?
1: Yes, a hundred percent. So one of our favorite activities is um his father and I we crack open a beer and sit in the TV room and mm-hmm. Scott would be having U World up on the screen. Which mm-hmm. for most people who've like already been through U World, it sounds like a horrible, like traumatizing experience, but it was fun. It was a game. We would mm-hmm. just like pull the questions up and like sometimes there would be yelling sometimes there would be berating but it was all in good fun we were all Mm -hmm. good friends throughout but um as Scott was studying for boards like Charlie and I were having a great time (laughs) (laughs) taking apart the questions yeah it was like the most ridiculous like nerdy thing you could do but Mm -hmm. we had so much fun so it's always been kind of woven in um especially through like through Scott going through med school and experiencing that with him mm-hmm. it's it's i mean it's I'm married to medicine in so many ways, you know, um which I'm sure you can kind of kind of um relate to, but I mean a lot of things we do and talk about are also very much not medicine mm-hmm. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, just talking about like the world and, and politics and um, ferrets
0: <laughs> my oh. weird. So what is, so to you, what does it mean to be a, a resident and also a doctor?
1: Yeah. Um, so being, being a doctor. So I, I think um, people have a lot of faith in you, you know, even if you like, don't know the answer um, and they don't, they don't blame you for it a lot of times, you know, which is like always been kind of surprising to me. You know, I, I would always kind of like go into the conversation, like very transparently, like if I don't know something, I'm like, look, sir, I i I can find out for you. I don't know the answer right now. And they never really get that mad, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. which I didn't really expect. I think like,
0: well, especially med school or like,
1: I, I'm talking about like right now, just being like a, like a cancer doctor resident. Um, mm-hmm. I no, no, no. like,
0: so when did you have that perception that like, Oh, they might get mad at me. Was it like during oh, med school when you were like kind of yeah. preparing, like being the clerkship thing and doing the yeah. dance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. During During, during med school, I would say, I think like, my perception of that was like we need to have the answers and people are mm-hmm. coming to us for the answers and um like i mean we're the experts like you go to a plumber they fix your stuff like that's mm-hmm. just how it works but that's just not how it is mm-hmm. you know it's just um kind of like a pleasantly rude awakening that like we're constantly learning things and and it's okay that we don't have the answers sometimes right away
0: you mm-hmm. know and um, so, like, had, has being called Dr. Mrs. Savla, like, has that changed? Like, how, how is that, like, um, was it, because I think people that go through transitional years and not, like, non-categorical residencies have a very different experience of that intern year and then settling into the residency than, like, some of the, and this, this doesn't make sense to people that are outside of medicine, so, like, right, <laughs> so, like, residency years after your med school and some people for some residency programs, like radiation oncology, which you're in. Um, you have to do a first thing called a transitional year, which may or may not be where you end up for your radiation oncology residency. So like you might do, uh, you might go to med school in in, like Chicago, do a transitional year in Boston, and then go to your radiation oncology residency for the next like what, six years in um, San Francisco, right? So, but it's like this weird, like middle ground, you're, you just became a doctor and now uh, but you're not like where you're going to be settled, and you're still so new in the role. Like intern year is such like a thing, right? Um, yeah. So, like what was what was intern year like for you, and how do you do you do you do you now like you know entering second year GY T- two? Do you feel like a doctor more more truly than you did going into intern year?
1: It's funny you ask. Um, I think, I mean, at the beginning of intern year, always, you know, it's scary. It's like you have this new title, you have all these responsibilities, but I loved my intern year, my transitional year of like being the medical doctor person. Mm -hmm. Um, It it just, you can master so much so quickly, um, even though like you are like constantly learning new things, but like you do end up, there's a lot of repetition with what you do and you're doing it kind of over and over. Um, So by the end of intern year, like I felt like I could, I could manage a floor you know like Mm -hmm. i could could carry plenty of patients i could like create the assessment plan all by myself no problem and discharge them and and it's i mean i can do this you know Mm -hmm. um i definitely i feel like less much less of a doctor right now right Mm -hmm. now because Um, now
0: you're now you're in it yeah you're in the radiation oncology thing yeah
1: i'm in it and i and it's like i mean it's a brand new residency nothing i've ever learned before i don't know anything about like Radiation physics or biology i 'm just learning like how to stage cancers like that's mm. a really important thing that you need to learn how to do uh, <laughs> yeah, and, yes. like basics basics and it's mm. like you don't really do that a lot before this, so um I definitely feel like a baby doctor all over mm. again, just maybe more like a like a med student all over again mm. you know um yeah so it's 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 weird it's kind of like you know i I went from student doctor and I'm like back to like Mm -hmm. deep in the student realm again
0: why uh why radiation oncology why radonc and when did you figure that out
1: oh man um I I kind of fell into it um freshman year freshman year of med school first year of med school Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh I think um I wanted to do I wanted to work with cancer patients like I think I knew that um based was off that the, from like working at moffitt um working at moffitt but also when i was in high school and i talked about oh. this in my last interview but the, all the work with hospice yes yes, uh, yes. i mean there were so many patients with cancer and i was just like really fascinated about um kind of all the medications they were on the chemo the radiation and all this stuff but also like i loved working with these patients like mm-hmm. they i i mean you really get to know them at their most vulnerable and you can be there for them at their most vulnerable. I mean, as a hospice volunteer, like you kind of saw a different side. You weren't doing any of the medicine stuff, but you were doing all the other stuff, which I loved. Um, and so I think for that reason, I was like, oncology sounds good. Like, I don't know if I want to do like family or peds or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay, I can do this. And then um, I didn't want to do hemonk because I just I didn't want to do like three years of internal medicine and then do medical <laughs> oncology. It just sounded like a lot, and it's like, I mean, I'm doing four years of cancer versus doing three years of cancer. So like, maybe you know it, but I don't know. That was kind of my thought process. Um, mm-hmm. I also considered surgery for a while, um, and then I was like, I like my life mm-hmm. a lot outside of outside of the <laughs> OR.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I, 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 really, I loved surgery. Um, but I, I couldn't see myself as like being a surgeon forever. It just didn't seem like the right thing for me at the time. So, um, I, and I remember I made this decision. It was like, right, right after I had remet Scott. Um, cause I was in, mm-hmm. I was home. I was in, I was in Tampa for the winter break and I went to, cause I was still deciding I was right on the class. So I was between Radonk and Surgeonk basically.
0: So was this during the, the fourth year or like? So, this was after you had gone to the, the first date and then you had been, he gave you the thingy and then you've been, and then you've met up again. And that was, and after meeting up again, or was it only after the first thing?
1: Only, it was like a couple days after our first coffee date slash concert uh-huh. that
3: we
0: went to. Okay, okay, noted. Um,
1: next week, I went to Moffitt and I, I talked to, actually met with a couple, one of the surgical oncology resident like fellows, and he was kind of giving me like the lowdown of what it's really like. Whoops. Hello. Sorry <laughs> um, uh, And I was like this I don't think this is right, and maybe it was just because he was like really tired. I don't really know what it was, but I wasn't getting a good sense um, of what you got to do as a surgical oncologist um, and then I went and I talked to like a couple of the Radonk residents and some of the attendings, and it really kind of confirmed for me like this is this is it, like this mm-hmm. is what I want to do. I want to be able to have like the consults for like the hour and sit with them and kind of like really be there for them like for their on treatment visits every week I mean they're getting radiation for six weeks like you know these people you know Mm -hmm. and you follow them up you know three months out six months out years out so um, I I really liked that side of things I like the outpatient pace and I like the idea of like being able to have that like localized control of cancer, like you do as a surgeon, but also be able to do that in a non-invasive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I, I really liked how we got to mesh really well. Like you need to know kind of everything else about all the other specialties, so you need to know all the surgical oncology and the chemo stuff mm-hmm. um, when you're in a radon because you're sometimes you're the um, adjuvant therapy, sometimes you're you know the pre-op, um, sometimes you're concurrent. So like you really need to like be able to know all the things too, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I felt like the Radon people were my people. It was kind of the the quirkiest, <laughs> the nerdiest sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of how I fell into it. Um, and I remember I made that decision. I, I like walked back to my car after talking to all those people at Moffitt and then I called I called Scott, and I was oh, like, I know it's crazy. He's it was like the first person I thought to call. I was like, I'm doing this. This is terrifying. Like I might not match, but like, I'm going in, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing mm-hmm. and this, that's it. And so, and I, I didn't even tell my parents until like maybe a few days after that. Cause like, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And I like, I don't think I told a lot of people at school either, like our med school people for a while. Cause it's like a scary thing. Like you're committing to this thing and it's like, I didn't think I had like the scores or the research for it. So Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, (laughs) this may not happen, but
0: yeah. And it worked out. And then, yeah. And it sounds like that was a very, uh, fateful week for you. Yeah. (laughs) In terms of the trajectory of your life. Yes. So, uh, that sounds like a, um, you know, that's like, I think this is about the depth into like the, the residency bit that we can go into at least this part of the interview. And then at this part of your career. Um, so I think now let's pivot to, um, what is it? So, so I think, what was it about, um, your parents aging and being a daughter that has changed over the past four years? Yeah.
3: I mean, um, I feel like some of the tables are turning a little bit, um,
1: in the roles. So, um, I think my parents are a lot more, at least my mom, she's a lot more anxious now than she used to be. Um, Mm. and a lot of, I feel like a lot of our conversations kind of turn to that kind of like therapeutic, like, you know, um, that role versus, I mean, in the past, like I would call her whenever I'd have like anxiety or, or fears or anything, mm, but that's so that changed a lot. And, um, I, I feel like my anxiety level since med school has, I mean, its It comes and goes, but it's like way more controlled now than it's ever been um, so kind of like that like therapeutic relationship is very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, she worries a lot, I mean, I think part of it's also like I'm all the way over here in Baltimore, not like fl- scary concept mm-hmm. for someone who has like an only child and a daughter and I, mm-hmm. I get that um so I think there's a lot of like that kind of fear, mm-hmm. uh, which can be which can be tough, you know, like. Uh, especially right now with um, like COVID and quarantining and things like that. Like they had a very robust social life, especially in the last three like, mm. years. So like, I mean, they would have, they had great outlets and they were able to do a lot. And now I think um, it's a lot harder on them, you know? Um, but I mean, I, I feel very fortunate that they have each other. They have my in-laws and Scott's not too far away either. And they've been spending some time together. So um, that definitely helps a lot, but it it is a big fear of mine, you know, like, um, most days I'm just like too busy and stressed with work to like really
2: mm-hmm. focus
1: too much on it. But, um, if I do like pause and I, 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 settle on it for too long, it does like put me in like, it puts me in a state of, of panic. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a scary thing to think about like aging parents. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: cause I do, I mean, I need them for a lot of things still, you know, as an, as an adult, just advice and kind of how to navigate through things in life, practical things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a kind of a scary scary thought. Um, so it
0: sounds like uh, the transition from like mom supporting the daughter to daughter supporting the mom was that more of like a kind of fluid like uh like the tide turning or was it the, Can you identify like a specific time Was it like right when COVID hit? That was when you really started to take that more supportive role for your parents.
1: Um, I think it's been um, like, like a, print like it's been much worse since then. But I, I think it's been it's been kind of changing that direction for a while now which i i mean i thought it would be the opposite now that i'm like married and a doctor you would think that those things would change but i think i think it's for some reason gone in the opposite direction and i can't figure out exactly why um she's actually texting me right now but yeah. let me respond to her
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, you got to right nervous nervous indian mama she gotta she gotta get that answer real fast
1: yeah just letting her know that I will call her back in a bit.
0: (laughs) Her ears are burning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she calls me like maybe like two to three times a day. Um, Yeah, she needs a lot of like reassurance and Mm -hmm. I do my best, but it can be, it can be tough Mm -hmm. Um, just taxing mentally,
0: you know. Are there any like, uh, have there been any medical or overall health scares or has it been more just of like you just noticing they're just getting, they're needing a lot more support these days?
1: um not so much medical thank- thankfully um, although right before intern year my mom she slipped and she fell um, and she had recently been diagnosed with osteoporosis she was like on you know bisphosphonates and stuff and mm-hmm. so i mean my mind went straight to like fall break hip break hip get a pe like that's what that's mm-hmm. where my mind went. so i was like i was a mess so i actually called my father-in-law and i was like can you because she didn't want to go to the emergency department get like anything ruled out like, of course was, of course like, yeah of course so she was just like <laughs> trying to like get up and walk around I was like mom like this could be broken like I I don't know what happened like I mm-hmm. didn't see fall, mm-hmm. but she was in a lot of pain and there was crying and my dad was yelling and it was awful and so and you're doing um, this all
0: over the phone
1: yeah well no so I was actually home I was oh home. okay oh okay. Which, okay which actually kind of made it a little marginally maybe worse <laughs> Because I was like, I, I feel I feel stuck because they're not listening to me. Like, go to the ED. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need back you know, up. Charlie will know what to say, yeah, Charlie will know what to say. So I called him and I was like, please convince them. Like, this is I can't do this by myself. Like, mm-hmm. if something bad happens, I like I would feel so horrible. So eventually she went. Everything was fine. There was no fracture. Mm-hmm. It was just yeah. Yeah, this right the right at the beginning, uh it's like a week before intern year started. So I was like, okay, this mm-hmm. is um this is like a new feeling that I'm getting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Like having to like protect and take care of my parents. It's it's different than mm-hmm. what I've had to do before. So
3: um And it's too uh, it's like
0: that um they were listening to you as a daughter, not as a doctor.
3: Yes. Right? Yeah.
0: And that can be a weird transition for them. Like I, I noticed that in my fam- in like my family, <laughs> like, yeah. like like my sister will text Mackenzie and I in a group thing about like medical question, like oh should we do this for our son? And I know what she's really doing is she's asking Mackenzie, she's not asking me, but she's including me in the thing so I f- don't feel hurt about it. But it's like it's very much this like you know your family can't they can't dissociate that like younger version of themselves of you. Yeah. Uh, from the like professional role that you have, they still see you in that, and they don't. You know, it's not that they don't trust you or they don't think you're a good doctor, but they just can't. Especially when the you know emotions are running high, they just, it's so hard to like not see you as this daughter that we protect and not this uh, you know this doctor that we listen to. And
1: see yes, yeah, so that so that definitely happened. But then, as the year went on, um, I mean, when there weren't like any acute issues going on, and they had like genuine medical questions. They would ask me if there were things to be concerned about or anything mm-hmm. like I counsel them adequately enough and they've listened and it would be fine. Like most of the time it was just reassurance Mm -hmm. um, fortunately. Um, But I mean health-wise I mean
3: thank God they've been doing very well. Um, I think it's just more anxiety emotionally you know, Mm -hmm. tough. But I think they're going to try to come
1: visit hopefully soon which will be really, I think that will be so great. Um, They'll get to like see where I live. They'll see the people that I live near, my neighbors and Um, I think that'll be very reassuring because I mean, the place I live is very safe and a great, uh, Mm um, great environment. So I think that'll help. Yeah,
0: I think so. And that'll be the first time they visited, right?
1: Yeah, they haven't visited Baltimore at all. Like I don't think they've been here. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and so I'm trying to remember back to the list and it was, uh, resident, uh, daughter, daughter daughter-in-law, um. I'm just trying to remember other things. Is there anything else on that list that you want to cover before we move on to the next prompt?
1: Yeah. um, I guess neighbor. Um, Oh yeah. That's a new thing. So I'd never been friends with my neighbors before. I mean, I think when I was like a kid growing up like block parties and stuff like that, but like, as an adult, I'd never like known the people living next to me, um, which has changed like drastically. Like I have a, a handful of friends that like I've been texting more regularly and, we just like meet up on the weekends on the on the rooftop just to hang out and and talk and dish, and it's been so much fun. It's like people outside of medicine um, to talk to and mm. um, just to drink with and like do nothing with, listen to music with. Um, it's been really, really nice. Um, it's made a big difference in like being here by myself. you know I, I never feel alone. I can just like go downstairs, hang out, play pool for like an hour, go back up. Be alone again if I want mm-hmm. to, and that's been huge um but that's it, yeah that's all I need to say about neighbors. well
0: I guess like so with the phys- so like there are two pieces right so there's like the community physical community, and then yeah. there's also like people outside of medicine right and you, you get both in one and it's kind of hard to like un- untangle the two but um right because like when you're in med school you're all the people you're talking to are med students, right and we're all nervous anxious anxious folks right and um I think what what about it like having people outside of medicine is so nice for you like like is it do you do you you ever talk about medical stuff with them or do you just is it just this chance to just totally go into a vacuum of medicine and just like talk about like random like uh nonsense
1: but a little bit of both um it's kind of fun that they ask me about medical stuff like I know things um it's just I don't know it's it's kind of it's kind of exciting to like be that person um mm-hmm. but then at the same time it's been really nice to just like hear about other people's like work problems and like relationships and mm-hmm. kind of random nonsense yeah a lot a lot of like random nonsense shenanigans a lot <laughs> of our troublemakers i think one of them tried to break into the pool the other night and <laughs> it's like <laughs> i feel like i'm in college a little bit
0: <laughs> mm, yeah like it sounds a little, a little bit like a dorm in a you in a way. it
1: feels like i live in like yeah like a giant frat house you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you can escape Mm -hmm. very quickly
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay um yeah so how do you finish that next prompt of before i die i want
1: before i die i want um before i die i want i think um to be good at like my job like be really 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 good um to just like know everything about radiation oncology that there is to know that i possibly can know um just be like a master in my field i think that's that's going to be a big part of it Um, how many
0: years away do you think that is
1: probably like 20 years maybe yeah yeah like minimum probably wow why, a, why
0: so, like, right? Because like getting to doctor is like a whole thing. That's like a 10 year process, right? Maybe five years, depending on how you want to like cut it. Um, but then what about the, like, why, why would it take so long? Like, you know, just as a person who might not know as much about radiation college, like why would it take 20 years for you to feel like you're at the, you're, you've left, reached a level of mastery?
1: Well, one, it's just, there's so, so much to know no two cases are anything alike. Like, I mean, every single case I've done has been different in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of nuances that like, I don't even know there, there's so many unknown unknowns that like, hopefully I'll figure out what the unknowns are in the next like 10 years. And then I'll be able to master some of them 10 years after Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it's such a long, weird, scary thing. Um, (laughs) but I think it's doable. Um, -hmm. if you just keep doing it over and over, um, and I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate to have excellent teachers. So I think I'll be like clinically competent by the time I'm done with the residency, but actually mastering and like having a really robust understanding of um, of all of the parts, including like the physics and, and the mm-hmm. biology, um, which is such a big part of it. Like it's, cause I mean, we learn like the, the pathophysiology and all of that. And like, at least for me that, you know, that took more than just med school. Like we had to learn it in college and on mm-hmm. to the, the foundation. So um, it's kind of like- starting from scratch. At least that's how I feel. I don't know. Maybe other people feel differently, but.
0: um. I think a question, a a tough uh, hypothetical I want to present to you is, do you think that the 20-year mark is sort of like the level of mastery that you imagine? And like you see in like maybe mentors and like that kind of level of mastery and like understanding of the field? Do you think that is what would be required in order to like, you know, goodness forbid, Treat one of your family members in, in the field of radiation oncology? Or do you think that would, that could be, do you think that level of like um, self-assured competence would be achieved before that? And like, at, like when you finish residency, or do you think it would, do you think, you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or would you, you know, you know, once you finish residency, do you think you would punt to an attending that you respect a lot? Or would you be like, I can take this case on by myself or like, you know, emotion aside, right. Or could you put it?
1: So I mean I'm hoping that I'd, I'd be at least competent and confident enough that with, like right after residency I'd be comfortable taking cases by myself but like um like getting like really really good where I don't have like it's kind of autopilot I think mm-hmm. that's just and I don't even think like even attending now like that's why we have tumor boards all the time and we mm-hmm. have you know people like to be in academic centers because you're constantly like things are always changing things are always new um so I mean even even the 20 year thing like I think that's just like an arbitrary number because the field of radiation oncology and cancer and just medicine Mm -hmm. is constantly changing at a very rapid pace and you just have to keep up, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I, maybe, maybe the answer is, maybe I can answer it a little bit more clearly. Like after residency, maybe like five years out, I'll be like solid. Like I can Mm -hmm. do this like completely independently, but then like have colleagues and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like continuing education to help me get better. Um, But like, is the learning ever going to end? Like, absolutely not, you know? And I mean, that's true for everything. Um, Yeah, I guess the 20 year number is like, um, maybe, I mean, even that number is like, you're still constantly learning things. So it just never ends, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you know, just just so like, just circling back on this question one more time. So it's like, yes, it's about confidence, but it's about also like, when do you think you could handle an emotionally charged case that you would be personally invested in? Right. So like, like, do you think like for me, it's like I think I could I think at this point in my training, I could relatively comfortably like treat a, a close family member or a close friend and like mm-hmm. feel like I'm competent enough to make some of those decisions. Um, but it's a different you know, different, totally different field psychiatry versus Radoff, right? But yeah. like Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like that emotional charge and like being like, oh geez, I need to get this right.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the emotional charge wise, actually, I would say maybe even sooner. Um, I would say maybe like right out, right out of residency. I think, I think most people have the ability to, at least from that standpoint, because I mean, from the emotional, um, intelligence, so to speak standpoint, I think you're just so quickly, like you're doing that over and over and over again. I don't, I think that part of it is like, may be easier to to master than the actual like yeah yeah Um, because you're like constantly doing it all the time every patient you meet you know even if you're not like in charge of their case necessarily like if you didn't like plan their radiation or something but you're just seeing them um like uh, as a weekly visit like a quick weekly visit to check in and see how they're doing like that's a therapeutic relationship right there so Mm -hmm. um I mean, from that standpoint, I don't, I don't think that that's going to take terribly long. And we're also, we, I mean, we work on that all the time, like in, in med school and, um, even intern year, you know, um, I don't think that's going to become, that's not going to be like an issue, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause it's one of the you know people outside of medicine, it's hard to relate to like the whole, like, you know, if you're a mechanic, you, it's very, it's, you know, the emotional charge of working in somebody else's car is like not, you know, it, it is there, but it's not like the same thing as like, right. Like a. Whole, like doctor field, like us being able to turn our skills and use use them uh, for the benefit of our loved ones is like that's a whole thing. It's like starting, you know, now that we're in residency and like looking forward, it's like that's something we can look look for. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and I mean, I, I hope. I mean, that's the goal. Like coming out of coming out of residency, like the emotional capacity to do this every day, and then even like treating someone as if they're our own family members with confidence. You
3: know, um, I think mean, that's the goal. What else do you want before you die? What else do I want before I die? Um, I think, what did I say last time? Did I say, did I say not to want?
1: I think I did say that at some point. I don't know if that was when I die or before I die. I think die. that was a when. That was a when? Okay, well, yeah. that's also before I die also. Mm-hmm. I would it's both of those things. Um, before I die, I would want to be kind of okay where I am. And I think that's something I'm like kind of struggling with right now um it's kind of being in the moment like I think I was I was better at that before interestingly enough but I feel like there's so much more at stake right now than there was before so it's harder to like keep that mindset like of just being in the moment and enjoying Mm -hmm. whatever's going on in the now like I feel like currently um I'm kind of always like anticipating the next thing and there's like a list of tasks in my head at all times that like I need Mm -hmm. to check off as things go um, so, um, I, I really want to be able to achieve that a little bit better. And it's been hard. Like it honestly has been really hard to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. What are some actionable steps that you are taking or could take or thinking about taking towards that, um, that end state?
3: Yeah. To, to not,
1: to want, um, yeah. I'm not, honestly not much right now. I'm like, I've kind of been on survival mode, so mm-hmm. I really haven't. I haven't been doing that as well as I used to. Um, but I think just like talking to people more just in just generally speaking um about how like where I am and how I'm feeling. I, I just mm-hmm. I haven't been doing that as much like I feel like kind of especially where I am and like the residency that I'm in, a lot of it is kind of just getting the job done. Um mm-hmm. and we don't really like pause to to talk. It's a kind of more isolating um residency even even more so than like intern year at least intern year you're like on a team with people you have like more interactions but um you know we're just one resident working with one attending and a lot of times the attendings are off busy doing their own thing so um we don't really get that interaction as much Mm -hmm. which has been tough and uh makes it like lonely you know and it's it's harder to like have those thoughts and conversations to really enjoy and like laugh um but when it does happen, I mean, my co-residents are great and they always make me laugh. Um, so I think just like really savoring, um, like friendships, um, and, and just laughing as much as I can, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that's
3: been a good way to, to cope, mm-hmm. but okay. yeah. And, um, I think that's a good spot. Uh, wh- is there anything else on that list before I die? Before I die, I want um, let me think about that before I die mm. I think I want to start a family i think i I think I've kind of like come
1: to that point more now, um. Mm-hmm. At some point, I mean, it doesn't have to be in the next, like, three, four years, but I, I think I do want that more than I did,
3: like, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, What's changed? And,
1: um, I think just, like, now that I have the support system in my family, like, having Scott and his family, too, that, that's definitely helped a lot. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, just, like, part of the human experience, like, you need to, I, I would want to do that. You know, and I, I want to have um people who I can rely on one day and they can rely on me. Um I don't know. It's it's nothing in particular, it's just I think growing up, um and like not being as selfish as I used to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think in that previous interview four years ago, you are you're definitely wrapping up adolescence and you yeah. still hadn't quite gotten into that adulthood. And uh <laughs> um now you now you're cracking that open for sure. And uh now you're looking ahead towards like what does middle like you're you know you're in middle adulthood you're, in, you're early adulthood and now you're like looking like what's middle and late adulthood things look
3: like. yeah
0: do you um right and so like in some ways in medicine specifically that desire for competence and that like i want to be the best possible uh radiation oncologist in the world right like that that desire and like this desire for children and a family can be more at odds in in our field than it is in other fields. And even you kind of like already hedged it, right? Like not in the next three or four years, right? But like, yeah,
2: yeah, so like that
0: tension is, is definitely there. Um, and how do you feel it? And how, how does, or I guess, let me, let me even take one more step back. So you're an only child, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Is, does God have siblings?
1: He does he's got two yeah two siblings and one of which um his older sister has two kids
0: okay okay Three kids so, the, so there, there's some <laughs> vent for the the the, the, the grandparents. like i want kids like energy but not right. on your side
1: <laughs> right yes <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> ah it's a strong strong energy strong like once the parent once the parents really want to become grandparents they're like that's the other thing like come on
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't get that push that much. I mean, my, my dad occasionally drops it sometimes, but I mean, I think they really understand that like, this is a lot, you know, like, especially being by myself here. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I can't, I wouldn't physically, I just would not be able to do it. Like I, I don't, I maybe, I don't know. Um, but I I think it would be very, very difficult to like balance having a kid and then Mm -hmm. doing well in radiation oncology. Like, I I mean, I don't know how people do it. One of my co-residents has four kids jeez Uh, i know and it's a it's a lot and i mean this is a very demanding like some of the rotations require you to be here like just it's it's so much and then you go home and you're still working and the expectations are very high so i just i can't see it happening in the next like couple of years just Mm -hmm. logistically you know maybe if if scott's here and he gets his residency here like possibly but um i don't know it's i think it's on the horizon though I i won't discount it as a possibility.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, even if you, even if Scott does end up there, you're both, you're still both active residents. And mm-hmm. it's not like you're so far away from your like extended families who could fis- do any little level of like in person support. Right. Um, yeah. And one thing that is nice about you having taken that lack of gap between undergrad and med school is your biological clock hasn't <laughs> really started to rev up yet compared to, you know, other folks.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which is kind of the saving grace, I think, in the situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, my, my parents had me when they were much older. My mom was like 40 when she had me. Wow. Really? Yeah. And I'm, I'm okay. I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm out> okay. <laughs>
1: um, so all the parts are there and for the most part. Um, so I, I don't know. It'll probably be okay. I'm not, I, I'm just trying to like live a little bit like month to month right now. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but the itch has started. Is that? That's what I'm hearing. the, the, the baby itch is like definitely. The
1: baby itch is like it's, it's mild. Yes, it's like the beginning stages. It's not like a desquamating rash or anything.
0: Gosh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah and i guess so so in your head do you just like imagine that as like a far off kind of like a far off distant possibility you haven't even really started like oh might be maybe we'll start trying after residency it'll like it's it's so far out it's sort of like that whole like uh level of uh, competency as a radiation oncologist yes 20 plus, not 20 plus years for the kid but like it's just like beyond the near future
1: yes yeah what you nailed it exactly um Mm -hmm. i mean it just feels um And I think that's kind of like a lot of, at least up until this point, I think things were kind of like systematic and programmed, but from here on out, it's kind of like the wild West. And Mm -hmm. like, um, I think I mentioned this in my last interview, but it's kind of how, what did I say? Um, I see myself as time and like, I let things kind of like happen as they happen. Um, I mean, I'm very much of that mindset right now because I'm just kind of focused on learning as much as I can and being the best resident I can be. And like, that's my role. That's my Mm -hmm. duty right now. Um as well as like being a good partner um, as, mm-hmm. as best as I can from being over here when he's over there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I mean, other than that, that's kind of like all I'm capable of doing right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. That's
1: just the reality. <laughs>
0: um, and then I, I think I know the answer. And, um, but I just kind of like, I would love to hear you explain uh, what is it about starting a family that interests you?
3: Um, I think just like having something else
1: outside of your own self mm-hmm. well-being, you know, to like, like you are in charge of this and like what you do affects this, you know? Um, and you can really like kind of be this like mentor coach person for this like little thing and, and watch them grow and watch them like become somebody that you can be proud of. You know, I think that's a really, really cool concept.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, have yeah. you ever had that? Or like is are the ferret babies, is that like a shade of that that you're like, oh yeah, i, I like this. I like this underneath.
1: Very, very pale shade of that, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, it, I mean it's really it helps so much, like, um, selfishly speaking, you know, you can you can be there to take care of somebody. Um, and that really can kind of like take you outside of your own mind a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which is something I've kind of always struggled with. So like having them here, which is it's like a tiny thing, but it it um it, it does. It just makes me feel like more normal. I guess like the life we live is a lot more normal by mm-hmm. having them here. Um, not to say that having kids makes your life any more normal, because I think that definitely throws a wrench to, into your daily routine. Mm-hmm. Um, but um,
0: it tethers yeah. you in a way that um, you otherwise aren't as tethered in in the medical world.
1: Sure. Yes. Yeah. And I've noticed that like, um, one of my favorite attendings, I mean, she has, I think she has like three or four kids. I can't remember. Um, but nothing phases her. It's just mm-hmm. like, everything's going to shit. Okay. That's okay. Well, Noted. <laughs> yeah. She'll, I mean, I think it's just like the attitude that you have and like, the skills that you develop. Um, I mean, I think that just manifests so beautifully, um, mm-hmm. in everything else that you do, you know, it's just, th- you know, bullshit doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not a parent, so I can't can't really speak for parents, but I feel like that's, that's the kind of the sense I'm getting. And, and those who don't have kids, I think they can become extremely fixated on their careers and like the things that go wrong specifically within their jobs. I, I don't know.
0: Just from yeah, what it, it clarifies what's important. Um, it really sifts things out. Um, but I also now, now I want to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole of, um, within the field, you know, now that you're in this radiation oncology field and you started to work with attendings and hopefully developed mentors, like, are there, are there people that you're working with right now that you really that you, there, there are large or maybe entire aspects of their life that you want to emulate for yourself and that you feel are setting a really positive role model for you, or, you know, or you can talk about the negative role models, things you want to avoid. Um, but like, what, what is that aspect, you know, now that you're starting to be surrounded by radiation oncologists?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, that specific attending with the three or four kids, um, I mean, she's, she's all about like wellness, taking care of herself. She really can like, I really get the sense that she, when she's in her role of work, like she gives it her all, but she never, I don't think she takes it home like as much as some others do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when she's off, she's off and she's like really at home. Um, she's really like there for her kids. And that's like a priority. And I think being able to like differentiate those things is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I really want to be able to do that. Um, Cause I mean, right now I'm I'm, not, I'm honestly not doing that. Like I come home and I'm st- I'm working I'm studying I'm contouring, mm-hmm. like I'm doing radiation plans you know um so it's it's a lot harder to do that I think when you're a resident but um you know as as an attending like when I have like a full career I want to be able to do that um and I think just like being able to keep the the big picture and not just sticking to um textbook or even like evidence-based medicine like a lot of times especially in radiation oncology like The standard of care is very like cut and dry um, for a lot of cases, but um, there can be nuances, social situations, um, kind of just like the patient's attitude and like resources that they have and making sure that we're not pushing people to do treatments that aren't appropriate for them. So one of the big topics that came up at one of our resident meetings was um, we wanted to talk about like the financial toxicity that comes with radiation, especially end of life. Mm -hmm. So that was a really interesting and important topic um, that we really don't know a lot about because um, sometimes with, we, we're doing palliative radiation, which can be really beneficial, especially with pain management. Um, but if people have like a bunch of brain mets, for example, um, we can radiate their whole brain and we usually do that in 10 different sessions. So they have to come in Monday through Friday for two weeks to do that. And if their time is like a couple of months, like we're eating up a lot of time and whatever financial burden that's leaving on the family. And we don't know like what the utility really is, as opposed to just like hospice and palliative care,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, quality of life, supportive care, so that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And you sort of addressed this a little bit earlier, like, you know, you needing to understand what does surgeon do? What does like other types of like, like, uh, hemonk, like knowing all those roles, because if you it could be very easy as a radiation oncologist to look at every single problem as a nail, because you have this hammer of radiation. And you're not understanding like, oh, that looks like a nail, but geez, should we really treat it like one? Like we need to be yeah. careful because who knows what other things? You know.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely. And there's so many toxicities. It's, 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 it's not a benign treatment at all. Like a lot of things in cancer care are, um, you know, chemotherapies definitely has its systemic toxicities, like makes people really, really sick. And we can make people really, really sick with radiation too. So knowing when to not treat, um. Even even if it's like kind of textbook, um, which sounds like an easy thing to do, but I mean, I think there have been cases. At least I haven't seen a lot of it personally yet because I'm just getting started. But like from what other residents and attendings have talked about, like that that does become an issue, you know, like where it wasn't appropriate to treat and the patient got treated and now they're dealing with like big hospital bills and um, I, I just I I don't want
3: to be that kind of radiation oncologist, like, mm.
1: um, yeah. Um, I think those are kind of like the biggest attributes. So basically being able to separate your work and home life appropriately. So you're not like constantly on the clock and then um, being able to know, like kind of the big picture for patients um, and really mastering that appropriately.
0: Mm -hmm. Good goals. Those are two good, good career long goals.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Is there, um, I was, you know, of course, I was waiting for you to bring up the kid thing. And I was like, is she going to do it or do I have to bring it up for her? And I'm glad you finally got there. <laughs>
1: yeah, I did. Because I thought did. I, I, that was something that we didn't really delve into uh, during our last interview.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything else before you die or should we move on to the next prompt?
1: Um, anything else before I die? I mean, like, try. I guess one of the things is just like having other life experiences traveling. I really haven't it's, I mean obviously we can't do that right now, but I, I didn't talk about that at all at my last and I was surprised that I didn't. But um yeah, I wanna be able to go to um Germany specifically. Um yeah. I mean I have I have many years, but because um a lot of Scott's family is there and so we can just like hang out and have oh, okay. a great time and it's just like a little thing. But like mm. I wanna be able to do that and I wanna show um India to Scott. I wanna take Scott mm. to India. I don't want to just like Because usually when we go to India, it's like we're seeing all the family and that's like all we do, which is great. But Mm -hmm. like I haven't actually seen like the Taj Mahal or -hmm. like gone to like the beautiful beaches or done any of those things. So I want to see India. Mm -hmm. Um, So just like little things like that, too. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Excellent.
3: Great.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is this is the morbid part of me, but it's also the part that respects uh, so much about India. Is I, I forget the name of that town, but it's where, like, in the Hindu religion, it's like the place to get burned and where you die. Do you remember what it's called?
1: Uh, I
2: I'm sure. No. Okay,
0: there's like this old old city where people would go, and you, that's where like uh, you know, as they end life, as they get towards the end of life, they would like that's where you go, and then you'll be burned on a funeral pyre, and if that's where you die, that's like a that's a lot of uh, spiritual value um, yeah, yeah I mean, I'll look oh. it up. I forget what it's called i, oh. I learned about it from Ram Das um, okay cool um, yeah, so that will be a, that's one of those things I always wanted to go to India for that reason mm.
2: um,
0: so uh now that we're here, uh how do you finish that prompt of when i die i want
3: when I die, I want mm. yeah, I think um how I want to die. Um,
1: I think one thing that I've, I've realized is like, I want, I want enough time to like be able to say goodbye and be able to be functional enough to kind of do the things that I want to do um, mm-hmm. as opposed to just like be there and then not be there. I think that's a terrifying thing. Um, mm-hmm. Or like be functionally there and then all of a sudden not be functionally there, like having a stroke and then like living with, so that, like that is a terrifying mm-hmm. thing for me. So like ideally, I don't want to have a stroke. I don't Mm -hmm. think I can prevent that, but I mean, if I had to choose, I would say something that kind of like lets me down gently, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and gives me like cancer. Not, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't really know. Just something.
0: (laughs) You know, too much to be able to just say like, oh, I just want to die slowly and comfortable. Like, like, (laughs) what do you want to die of? Because, you know, now you know the things and you know what it looks like.
1: Oh, God, there are no good ways to die. Now that I know too much,
0: you know, too much. (laughs) right you can't um, you can't have that like fun imagination land anymore, I
1: know, I know like I have to give you a real answer now it sucks um god it's all it's all terrible man i it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, if I had to choose uh maybe just like be pleasantly demented, I don't know
0: <laughs> well, so this is all this is still still all in the the like camp of before I die, right, so like you're talking about like the the quality of life at least it sounds like you're talking about like the quality of life in the years leading up to death but you're not actually talking about like how you physically want to, like what you want in the moment of death transition of life to death right
3: right yeah i uh, i don't know just uh, yeah no, so I let, don't let me want- let
0: me ask you this so is are there specific um uh cultural rituals surrounding death in jainism
1: um specifically with jainism um not that i know of about like the process but um i know a lot of people they do very similar things to like what's done in hinduism with um cremation mm-hmm. uh, so I, I would probably probably want to also go that route i don't think i want to be buried mm-hmm. I, that just doesn't sound sounds like kind of a waste of space to mm-hmm. be honest um i'd probably want to go through with the cremation um I think that's what most people do. Like they do like the the funeral pyre. Um,
0: But again, that's after you die. But but, but is there, so you don't know of any specific rituals, like specific around the transition of life to death?
1: No, no, I I don't know of any specifically in Jainism. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think, I mean, I think at least just like from family members, you just usually go to the hospital and you die there or in your home or... Mm -hmm um, there's not really any specific thing that happens
3: that I know of. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you, Um, have there been any deaths that have affected you greatly? No, there haven't. Um, which I feel like almost makes like this,
1: this interview more challenging in a way, you know, like if you haven't seen it yourself, it's a lot harder to kind of, have those answers. Um, and like, it's just different when like you're in the hospital or you, you see patients dying. It's, it's just such a different, like, it's, it's harder to put yourself in that, um, in that situation, at least for me, you know, I, I I'm very like separate in like my personal feelings about death than I am about the feelings of death at work. Cause it's, I'm at work. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so, so different. Like I can, um, objectively say like, oh, I would not want to like, be like incontinent, for example. Um, but I mean, I, I beyond that, it's like I, I don't have a great I don't have great insight into mm-hmm. what that will look like. And I think if I, you know, if that ever happens and I am able to like have those feelings and, and see someone that I care about go through that, I might have a better answer. But I mean, right now, it's just um, it just feels like such an abstract concept in my mind of of what that even looks like, you know for somebody that I care about. Like, I, I can't even like think about it, which is, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, and, like you think, I mean, as a doctor, like you you think that you would be able to, but I just have not gotten there. I don't know. I, I don't know if you have, but, um,
0: it's, I, I think for me, it's a little different, but for me, I've never actually having, you know, even having gone through med school and gone through my intern year where I do my medicine rotation, I still haven't been in the process, in the presence of a human dying, like a, like, becoming, going from alive to dead. Like, I still haven't seen that. Um, mm-hmm. and I know that's, that's so weird. The fact that we're doctors, like, I, I don't know, have you, have you been in the, have you been in that presence?
1: I have. So I'm um, in the ICU. I was like, I think this happened maybe two or three times where, uh, basically we were, um, weaning the patient off of the vent, um, like a terminal extubation. Um, so we were giving them like Ativan just to relax them and morphine for pain um kind of like that cocktail and mm-hmm. it just it felt like a surreal experience like you're there and you're kind of like seeing it from the outside in because you're kind of like you're you're not really physically in the room that whole time Like you're going in and out just to like turn change the vent settings to wean them off but you're not like really there like with the mm-hmm. family um um so it's it's a it was a really strange experience and actually one of the um ICU doctors like she was like a traveling ICU, um, physician and she did a really, really good job of this. Um, but she, I, the, I think the most, um, the most personal, um, moment I had when, when I was going through that process was the final physical exam. So, you know, like listening to their heart and lungs, checking their pulses, um, checking their pupils. Um, that was like a really, I think, important and therapeutic thing for like the family to see and for us as like doctors to see that like we've transitioned this person um to literally to death you know Mm -hmm. um but it was like it was like good to have that closure as like weird as that is just doing that last like you're putting your hands on the patient Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just I mean I don't know when I when I think about it like I I can't even fathom what that would be like being that person's like wife or their their son or daughter it's just I have such like a or the patient or, or the pa or the patient. Yes. <laughs> I just, <laughs> it's so, um, mm-hmm. I, yeah. And I, I, I wish I knew why. And even when patients have like are diagnosed with cancer, like the, the feelings that I have about it are so like, it, it almost feels like there's this wall between m- my own feelings about it and kind of what the patient's going through and like being like empathetic. It's, it's like a, it's it's a really strange thing and I, w- I was telling scott about this and he was like that's weird like you don't feel like overwhelmingly like sad and depressed like when a 19 year old gets this like horrible glioblastoma like this horrible brain tumor and i'm like yeah i'm like i am upset about it. obviously it's like it's a horrible thing that happens but it's it's harder for me to put myself in that situation than like i thought it would you know cuz we learned about empathy in in medical school and um and how important that is and it's like it's it's a lot harder to to do when you're like right there and your job is to like take care of this person. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it's just been it's been like a surprising weird thing.
0: Yeah. So um, there's this project that I've heard of, like uh, that it's like I think it's called the Dying Project or something like that. Um, it's essentially like people taking on a spiritual work, um, just being in the presence of people that are dying. Um, and helping them because they, like the person before they started the dying process stated like they want somebody there in a, in a spiritual context to be with them. Um, not, not like in a doctor sense, not in like a caretaker sense, but just like from a soul to soul like a person, yeah. like just be someone there with you. Um, because when there's, you know, once you put on the, the caretaker um, helper hat, it, you kind of, you, you trade, you trade like the presence hat for the helper hat. And it's really hard to wear both at the same time. And I think that what you're describing of like, you're wearing the helper hat and like putting on the presence hat is so hard, um, at at least in our stage of practice or like our career. Um, And it's not something that we're like necessarily encouraged to do because like you said, like if you're in the ICU, you gotta pop in, there are other patients that are dying or about to die. And like, that might be preventable. And like, um, there's like an aspect of like, that and i remember for me the first time i saw a dead human was in the context of the terminal physical like the final physical exam but like the doc right before he walked in he's like ah fuck i want hospice like why didn't hospice why isn't hospice declaring this dude dead like why do we have to why do we have to do like all this like, like saltiness that was like like I was like dude, dude this is like this person just died, and this family's been family's been waiting for us to wrap up around so that we can declare this dude dead. You know, and right. it's like there's there's like a, a total lack of like real like presence there, and he was just like, oh fuck, now we have to write the the goddamn like death certificate. You know, and I was like, I was like, jeez, this is what yeah. it's, you know. And, yeah, that,
1: and I mean, that is weird. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's like, yeah, I I could never see myself being in that particular because <laughs> like yeah. that's just that's like wait but there's there's kind of like this kind of dance that you have to do to like cuz i remember when i was um sometime 30 i think it was like a family medicine um rotation and i was like sitting with the patient and like we were both crying together mm-hmm. and like i see i've i haven't done like i haven't had those feelings you know and like of course like i'm there for them and like i say the things but like the tears don't come out you know mm-hmm. and like i don't know if it's because we've done this so much now. And like, we haven't done it that much. It's only been like a couple of years or it's just that like, you're, you're right about the helper, that helper hat. Like you're, you're doing all of that stuff so much more uh, of your time that um, the, like the presence thing is it's, it's not as, it's not as intense when you do it. Um, I mean, I I think on the most important thing is you you just like sit there and you listen and Mm -hmm. like, maybe you don't have to like showcase those emotions or like say, the words. You can just sit there and listen. And I, I think that's enough. You know, I, I I thought that I would be more like vocal and like have the right words to say, but I, I feel like patients don't always want or need that. Sometimes you just have to like literally just like sit there for a few minutes and that's it. Like let the silence like be
3: the empathy and support that they need, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: And so in And and we talked about this before the interview about how your desire for like that final transition, you, I think you, there's still aspects of it that you want from that previous interview, right?
1: Definitely. I think, um, the, the, what I loved, um, from what I said before was, um, laughter being Mm -hmm. kind of like how I'm transitioning out. Um, and like physically, I don't know how that would happen, but just in general, the general sense, it's just like having joyfulness and having a good sense of humor Mm -hmm. uh throughout the whole process like whatever that would be and Mm -hmm. uh kind of like have you
0: seen that in another person's death yet
1: i have uh, you have now I, i have so so maybe okay so not in someone's specifically in someone's death but we had a patient who had this like horrible um glioblastoma and she was super super sick like the inpatient team like basically just wanted to put her straight through hospice but um, she was like very, she had a very like robust career before and like very, very smart, very vocal. Um, but I mean, she was so funny. Like she, I mean, she just like, she was so positive and so, um, so like jovial. And I mean, I feel like that got her through her radiation treatments, um, like whatever attitude that was, it was just, it was like amazing to see. Um, Cause I mean, you're diagnosed with this, like essentially- terminal form of cancer. Like, you, you know, you only have maybe two to three years. Um, but it was just her attitude was, like, incredible. And she ended up not having to go through hospitals. Like, she actually did really well with the radiation. and um, She's going to start chemo soon. Um, and now I think she's at home with her family um, doing, like, the chemo, just going back and forth. So I, I think the attitude is, like, um, a really big part of, of the fight or not so much the fight, but just getting through the treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just hope that, that
3: that's kind of the attitude that I can have. And I'm able to kind of like, um, just not like sit in sorrow, you know? Mm. And I hope that
1: my family members can do the same. I know I, it's a lot to ask of people. Um, have you seen the movie, um, The Farewell? No. Oh, you have to recommending it yeah i watch movies now like that's a new thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's a great one you have to watch that one um and you'll you'll kind of see what i mean um and let me know what you think but um Mm -hmm. a lot of it is kind of about like um saying goodbye uh obviously it's in the title but the the woman has um i think she's from china and she like doesn't speak english at all and her all of her family comes to her um to comes to see her because number one there's a wedding that's going on but the other thing is she was recently diagnosed with lung cancer she has no idea um and none of the family members want her to know about it um even though I think she I can't remember if she like voiced if she wanted to know about it or not but um it was just basically kind of like showing that like crazy dynamic of the family and um how pe- different people in that family like dealt with the fact that she was dying and I think it would it would be a great one to see
0: yeah, I think I've heard yeah. about it. Because uh, yeah. my my grandmother on my mom's side is in that situation. She's had pancreatic cancer for like three, four years now. She has yeah. no idea what's going on. She's just yeah. kind of happy. She's just kind of like bopping around. and yes. Of, yeah. 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 Uh, do you have you have in the in the past four years or in the past uh, twenty six years? Have you had any experiences that will help you understand what that? Transition from life to death will feel like either by proxy
3: or yourself. Um. Mm -hmm. That's tough. I mean, tough one because I I personally know. um, Yeah, I mean, I would just say, like, people that I've seen in the hospital and kind of like what they have to go through. Um,
1: it's, it's a really scary process. And I, I personally have not experienced that myself. I mean, if I do, I'll let you know, like how that mm-hmm. goes, but, um, yeah, there's nothing really in my life that I've, I've kind of like been like, okay, this is, this is what it's going to be like. Um,
3: yeah, that's really hard. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have an answer for that one at this point. Mm-hmm got some
0: time still got some time to figure that out hopefully
1: yeah (laughs) thankfully yeah i mean thankfully so i i I don't
3: i don't hope that that happens at any point um -hmm.
0: and i guess before we move on to this last prompt of after i die i want to crack open the parent box Mm -hmm. how do you think because they're all so from what you just told me your mom is 40 and she had you, so she's what, like, 66? So she's, like, definitely getting into the back half of adulthood. Right. Um, and how old's your dad now?
1: I think he's going to be 73.
0: Oh, gotcha. So he's, yeah. he's he's in he's yeah. in that... not He's not young anymore, for sure. I mean, he
1: <laughs> acts like he's in his 20s, but oh, yes. Of course. Of course.
0: <laughs> I, I would not imagine your father to be anything separate from that. <laughs> he was
1: doing handstands the other day, just like...
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And I guess, uh, do you have... You know, and part of this is tough because you're an only child, so you'll kind of be, you know, I have an older sister and a younger brother, so it'll be kind of more diffused and spread out in terms of the burden of it. But do you even imagine how you're going to start to approach these topics with your folks and, you know, your your parents?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I have. I've talked to them a lot about kind of like getting their wishes established. And it's it's been kind of like an incremental process um, of just starting that conversation because... I think especially like my mom is very like morbid averse. Like she doesn't want to talk about that. My dad mm-hmm. is a little open to it, um, but she's like, no, like this is not, you know, it's not going to happen anytime times so you don't have to worry about, but it, it could, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think we really need to start having that conversation more, um, more explicitly. Like this is, this is the plan. Um, this is how we're going to kind of like transition through things. And like, do you want hospice? If like, we get to that point, like, You know, do you want to, like, have your, like, feet rubbed? Just, like, details like that. Or do you want, I mean, even, like, DNR, DNI, like, we've we've kind of, like, danced around the conversation, um, but we haven't, like, I don't think they've established that yet. Um, And I'm having trouble even just objectively telling them what to do because, I mean, obviously, a lot of times I'm, like, definitely DNR, DNI, but um, the daughter side of me is, like, Let's do all the things. Like keep mm-hmm. you alive, and so uh, it's um, yeah. I, I I don't know yet. Um, and maybe I don't know. I told I told them they should go to their PCP and maybe have this conversation with like someone who's like more objective, has like kind of like a third party observation type of standpoint without any bias. Um, that's what I would encourage them to do. I think. Um, because I I really I I don't know if I'm like gonna be able to make that
3: decision honestly Mm -hmm. yeah um so and uh, yeah i i would probably um
1: for my own self and who i'd make my like power of attorney or um you know whoever can make my own medical decisions when i can't like um i think i'd probably have scott do that i think he'll be very objective about it i hope Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah we we haven't had we've had like a little bit of that conversation. Um, but I mean, I think it is important to have your advanced directives done like sooner rather than later. Um, so hopefully, hopefully they'll be willing to open that can of worms again soon. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could take off the helper hat with them and be in the presence
3: hat?
1: I think I'm going to have to, um, I don't think I would be able to do both. Like it's going to be one or the other, and yes. um,
3: I think it's going to be more of the presence hat for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because yeah, I, I don't. I I
1: would not feel comfortable being both. I mean, I, even now, I just like sometimes. I'm even when they ask me like medical things, I just say, "Just go to your PCP." <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to be in that role, especially mm-hmm. after like my mom had that fall, and I was like, I don't, I can't do this. Like, mm-hmm. this, somebody else needs to like do all the medical things, and I can be there as your daughter, but I don't want to be your doctor.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then that's sort of like the idea that I was getting to back uh, when we were talking about like that competency question, like when could you take on that emotional role of like your parents, you know, being the doctor to your parents. And it sounds like you've almost come to this conclusion where you're like, I want it separate. I just want to be the daughter.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, that's where I'm at right now. I don't think I want to be their doctor. Like I want to be aware of what's going on and like be able to ask questions, but I don't want to like drive the the medical bus because mm-hmm. I don't think that's helpful. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think there's a reason why you're not supposed to treat your family members because mm-hmm. uh, there's always, always going to be that bias, and you're always going to like. They can definitely like alter the course of their care, and I, I don't want to be the person to do that, mm-hmm. um, unless I see something egregious, of course. Like, <laughs>
3: like you need to see a different doctor, but um, yeah. Mm. So how do you finish that final prompt? Of, After I die, I want.
1: After I die, I want. Um, Now that I've kind of thrown kids in the picture, I mean, I just, I want them to be self-sufficient. I think that's, I think I want them to be able to be their own people and, um, be independent. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. I think, um, that's it. If, if I do have kids, um, if I don't, then I think I want to continue to have omniscient, um, (laughs) (laughs) powers <laughs> to, like know everything that's going on in the world um mm-hmm. and the reasons for why everything happens the way that they do um so you
0: want to be, like, be in on the mystery you wanna I want to be in
1: on the mystery and I want my kids to be
3: fully functioning um independent people mm-hmm. and happy. and that's it mm. do you...
0: Uh, and this is tough because for you it's such an abstract idea of kids right like I want to I want to drill down more there but it's still so abstract for you the idea of children and having your kids and like letting them go into the world at, like without you it's such a like a, it's so abstract that it's hard I think it's hard to really have like to go where I want to go with that yeah um, because yeah that that idea is is very understandable but like the like, but where the, where's the edge of it? That's, that's, that's my interest is like, when, when do you think like, at what age would you be comfortable? Like not comfortable, but you'd be like, okay, if I have to die here, this is where I die here. And uh, they're three years old. Um, and you're, you be leaving Scott as a single dad, you know, like that kind of question. Um, right. and, and that's something I think about with June is it's like, at this point, I've, I think I've left enough like material for him to understand who I am before he really got to know me. Um, yeah. That I'm like, okay, if I die, that's it would not be great because uh, I'd be leaving Mackenzie a single mom. I think she's strong enough to be able to do that. Um, and I think that she's set up in a place with support from my folks that she could, you know, that June can grow into that person that I know, that I, that I hope and want him to be. Um, yeah but I think the the the, the nitty gritty about where's that edge for you is so it's so far away that it's it's, it's so
1: far away yeah, yeah. It, it is I mean first, there has to be children <laughs>
0: yes. yeah right exactly <laughs>
1: um and then um yeah, and I think one of the when we did the last interview, like one of the things I said was I think I'm gonna die young um i don't really I don't really know if I stand by that anymore um I think it's because now I have so much more like in my life I have a, I have a family. I have like a real career um path. Um and I just I just don't think that I don't know if I that's gonna happen. And I'm like a pretty healthy fit person. Um mm. I remember I was like I was at the gym the other day and somebody I think it was I think it was like Jason Naziri. He was like, you're gonna be like a 90 year old like fitness queen. Like you're just gonna be <laughs> like in such good shape. And then he saw he said that I was like, I really like the I want to be this like little old lady who's just like really like cute and small but also really feisty kind of like my mm. mom um and I, I want like that. A, like an
0: old salsa instructor like still yes. got it
1: <laughs> yeah just like like old and spicy that's like what I want to be mm. um I don't want to be I don't want to die young um mm. so I'm, I don't want that to happen so it's not going to happen you know mm. um. <laughs> of, course. <laughs> of,
0: course. <laughs> of course of course of course of course so so we talked a little bit about the, the family piece which is a little so still so nebulous and undefined and we talked a little bit about the omniscience and like the getting in on the mystery yeah. um do you, what do you what do you have as like a construct for like what is afterlife like what, what is your what is your mental framework for what that is like and what that experience is and what you know what it means
1: yeah so um at least in jainism um which is basically kind of like this philosophy, but it's also a belief that you, um, based off of like the life that you lived and like how much karma, so to speak, that you incurred being good karma versus bad karma. And there's like this whole weird, like mystical signs that like, I don't really understand about it, but essentially (laughs) like ethically, like who you were um, as a person, like how well you were able to kind of like uphold some of those tenets of Jainism, including specifically like nonviolence. so then, the next the next thing that you do is you go on to like another life. You you live a whole other life. Your soul is the same and it stays intact throughout forever. Um, but then when you die, you are then reborn into a new being altogether. Whether it be an animal or another human or a tree, I mean anything really. Um, and the goal is to, um, as your lives progress, you become more and more spiritually aware. You're kind of able to gain like. Um, kind of the more neutral um, approach to life, and be able to kind of like let go of worldly um, possessions and become more and more nonviolent. and then as you're able to improve on that, then you can one day um, break that cycle of life and death. So I um, think that continues to be um, kind of how I see things. Um, that really hasn't changed since four years ago when I did that interview last time. Um, so again, like a, a whole new adventure. You know, and mm-hmm. another opportunity to understand yourself and your soul a little bit better um, and like take those steps towards achieving nirvana, essentially, or like breaking that cycle of life and death.
0: Mm-hmm. And so like, uh, like a modern example of that would be like, uh, or like a, a metaphor of it for understanding would be like you put on the VR goggles, you live that life, you take the goggles off, you're like, whoa, that was wild. And you yeah, go back yeah. in on something else. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And it would it be in that? Whoa, that's that was wild. Would that be like the the checking in with omniscience and in, in, in on the great mystery?
1: Yes, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, kind of like pulling away, and you like see like the real world, and they're like, oh, back into the back into the physical realm, you know, like mm-hmm. instead of like seeing the whole universe. Um, but like you you get to stay in the universe. You get to like see it all, you know. Mm-hmm. You get to see all of the VR screens at
3: once. That's mm-hmm. the like omniscient thing, mm-hmm. I think.
0: Mm. And then what do you, what do you imagine for like the far future for uh, tens or hundreds of thousands of years from now? Uh, What do you imagine for like the world, for life, for humans, for uh, ferrets, like whatever you want to talk about when you think of when you like, can you even imagine the far future beyond the far future of kids?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there might be like other universes that are going on and there's probably life on those other universes. And I mean, I don't, know if our earth is going to be maybe like hundreds of thousands of years like this earth might still be intact and it's gone through all of the stages and ages of you know the ice ages and all of that it's probably shifted quite a bit um but i'd like to think that like the human race is still there at, in some form somewhere mm-hmm. if it not in our universe and in another universe you know mm-hmm. uh, but i i mean there might be the there's always the possibility that like our exact lives are being paralleled in some other universe you know and like that one's going to keep existing like a episode of rick and morty you know i think, <laughs> that, I think that's a very plausible explanation
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so so yeah i mean maybe hundreds and thousands of years and and whatever soul that i have now it's still there um maybe not in like a physical form but hopefully by then in the like omniscient form where I can see all the universes and be like, hey, like, there are humans in that one. Like, cool, mm-hmm.
3: we kept going, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what I hope for.
0: What do you see as, like, a direction or, like, what do you even imagine life for? Like, if there are humans in 10,000 years, what do you even imagine life to be like? For them? Like, can you even, can you even, like, get, give, like, an example of, like, what you think? Like, how, like, would it, would it be, like, the same? Like, are they still, like, still pooping and watching netflix like are like you know what i mean like what do they can you imagine like what how 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 different things can be in that like just like such a distant future you they wouldn't even be how could they even be the same right
1: i mean i think it's possible that like maybe we won't even be like flesh and bones anymore we'll just be like on a flash drive somewhere you Mm -hmm. know like just plugged into whatever universe we're in and and that like we'll be living like you can see everything you can you can breathe you can like have sex with people you know in in that world but you're not like physically there um I think that would be that's probably what it, that would look like is you're just you're like a a form of like consciousness you're not like actual like atoms and like hydrogen and carbon anymore you know
0: so you imagine like a transcendence of the physical form into like a yeah. weird techno future? Yes. Your techno future.
1: Techno future, Yeah. Oh, I
0: see, I see, okay. Okay, I see, I see. Um,
1: I need to get stoned for this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is one of my fun part of the interviews because it's like, it's one of those like, you gotta be really mentally flexible, I think, yeah. to really start thinking about these like far future ideas. Right. Um, some people are more rigid than others. And that's, that's why I yep. like asking.
1: Yeah. So kind of like the matrix, but like sexier and like less fluid, let, you know, like those stacks of human, it's not going to look like that. It's just like a very sleek, you know, <laughs> black box that has like just flashing lights when things are going on in people's minds that mm-hmm. like, that, that's what that's going to look like to me. <laughs> that's going to be, that's just, it's going to be floating in space. And that's the human race.
0: <laughs> I don't know, Untethered from gravity. <laughs> untethered, Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and then what, what, so, so we talked about like for the soul of Buncee, like the omniscience. And we talked a little bit about like the, the blood lineage of Buncee in terms of the, the family. And we talked a little bit about like the far future, but then what do you want for people in the immediate aftermath of your death? What, are there anything specific things you want or want to speak, like say for them to hear, um,
3: and to understand about you? Um, I just want them to like, like, just don't stress. Just, it's not worth it. Just, just
1: don't stress out about anything. Um, Laugh as much as you can. Dance as much as you can. Eat whatever you want. Um, Yeah, that's it. Just like live as like responsibly, hedonistically as you can. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy yourself. That's it. Um, Yeah. And I think, um, I think a lot of that comes from my, my dad is very much not the like, don't be like a hedonist he doesn't he's not a proponent of that but he is very much like um very like go with the flow and like don't like um don't like burden your mind with too much you know just just enjoy everything that you do um which is like not an easy thing to do obviously you know it's I mean i you know this this morning I woke up in like like a semi-panic I was like oh god I have so much to do <laughs> you know um but i uh, I would that's what I would like my family to
3: know, and um just like
1: remember me like fondly, I guess you know mm-hmm. like that I was like
3: fun and um and like always there for people, you know, as much as I could be and that I still am you
1: know, I'm still there somewhere, <laughs> okay, <laughs> hopefully nice. omnisciently watching the whole show,
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever been comforted by the thought of uh, somebody who has died, um, like, omnisciently washing over you?
1: Yes, I just, you know, I talked to, I talked to my parents last night, and they said they started feeding crows. Um, Mm -hmm. And they, there's this, like, ancient Indian, whatever, like... um, thought that like a crow is like the manifestation of someone who's died that you care mm-hmm. about i just remember this i don't know why I'm, I'm glad you asked because um i thought that was like a really interesting thing so but, like yeah you're like feeding your ancestors um and my um my mom's sister died this year a few months ago i didn't know her very well but she they was were, she in <laughs>
0: india or was she in india gotcha.
1: Yeah. And she, I mean, she was relatively young. She was like in her late fifties. Like uh, she's a psychologist. Um, very, very sweet person. We actually looked very similar. Like, of, of my whole family, I would say I look pretty similar to her. Um, and yeah, they were very, very close. So it was, it was kind of this this sudden devastating thing that happened. Um, so I wonder if that crow was like, maybe my mom's sister. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it is like a comforting thing to think about. And um, maybe, maybe it is an animal. Maybe it's, maybe one of my great grandparents is like little boy, like my parents. I mean, who knows, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think being, being your fair would be a pretty, pretty sweet gig.
1: Um, <laughs> exactly. They're, they're pretty, yeah. Pretty
0: karmically fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and so, so two things. One is, um, I want to circle back to the, you know, your aunt dying. And what that was like supporting your mom through the grief process of her, you know, a sibling, because that's a whole different ball of wax than like a grandparent. I don't know if you've experienced that, and you know, maybe they are still in India, and that was a whole thing. So there's an emotional distance from that. But the whole like, your, you know, what was that period like? What was that whole experience like for you and your family?
1: Yeah. Um, So this happened maybe let's say like a month and a half ago. Um, Oh wow! So really recent. Yeah, it was really recent. Um, But I we really, I mean. the The grieving process was i felt very brief, um at least for my mom's side, or maybe she just like hasn't been as vocal about it um because I think she she kind of gets a sense that like like when I'm here and I'm working and stuff, it's like hard to kind of be as open um about that mm. kind of stuff specifically, mm. like she expresses her like anxiety in different ways, but like she, we, we haven't really talked about um her grieving since it happened it, maybe it was like three or four days of her calling me and like being really sad about it um and like talking about her life um but then after that like I really like, we really haven't talked about it that much maybe is I that should, part
0: of that morbid averse part that you're talking I about I think it
1: is I, I I really think it is because like it was it, it just happened so quickly um but like we haven't really unpacked it as mm-hmm. you know that much since then um it was really really weird and like maybe when I call her today I'll, I'll ask her like how she's doing about it because I we just just haven't like it, it's like mm-hmm. it didn't almost like it didn't happen it's really weird mm-hmm. um, but I, I i definitely should ask her about it um, i'll see i'll see she might just be like i'm okay like because that's kind of how she i feel like she deals with things like that sometimes like mm-hmm. like really like more horrible things that can happen like she kind of just lets brush off her back but then like little bad things that happen she like freaks <laughs> out about so I, I don't know of course
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's also this tough thing too, with your, with like loved ones and parents, especially it's like, you, you might want them to have a specific reaction but that's yeah. like, that's just your desire. That's not reality. And right. it's like, not, not what is best for them is what you want. You know, those, those are, you know, it might be totally different things in are they're, they're especially from like a karmic, like spiritual like soul level it's like maybe that's what they just need to do is to like you know just to like kind of put their head in sand about it because that's what they signed up for this time around
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah and I you know people everyone grieves in such different ways um I mean I think if it were me I mean I'd probably do the same thing I would just kind of be like this happened I'm going to be sad about it for a week and then I just and you know just remember, you know, the memories and, um, and
3: keep going. And then I, that's all you can do, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. And then the other part that I want to talk about was, like, usually I usually ask like, is there like, you know, I'll ask in inclusion, is there something you want to say to the audience? But Then earlier, like a couple minutes ago, you said, I think like the thing, you think you said it, like, I forget what it was, like, you want to like laugh as much as you can, like all, I think all of that was like a very good answer to give for that question um, but but yeah. i also want to give you the floor to uh make any amendments or changes or say a whole different thing to the audience whoever's so listening um yeah. in conclusion for yeah. this you know wonderful conversation yeah um
1: i think what i mean everyone who's listening to this and i don't know how many or, or who you are um but like think about these things and like do this like even if you like I'm talking to the audience right now. If you don't know Eugene and you really should, he's great. <laughs> um, or if you're not comfortable talking about this, like just think about it. You don't even have to like write the stuff down, but just like have, have that conversation in your mind or um, have it with a friend. Cause I think it's, it's really, really valuable. And it kind of like, kind of like highlights some of the things that, um, that you are going through right now and, and, um, and how you can kind of like, how you can kind of like change things in the future and, or, or it'll show a pattern of like your thinking, which is really, really fun. And cool. Um, so it's really, really fun to see like how my thought process has changed and, or not changed since four years ago. Um, so do it. It's really great. Uh, that's my little plug for you. Um, and then all the things I said before, just like laugh, have fun. Um, don't worry. It's all good even when it's not, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and that's me talking to myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm. yeah. Thank you so much, Muncie. This was a, lo- this was a great pleasure. Um, yeah. We're in a lo- much different place than we were four years ago. And uh, this is one of, the long- one of the bigger gaps between check-in interviews. And I'm really glad that uh, you're one of the first people I've checked with. so
1: week. fun. <laughs> Thank <laughs>
0: you so much. This has Thank been Batsasabla. where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am before I die. I want when I die. I want and after I die. I want. This week we're doing a throwback episode to the Dirty Dozen. This time with Bansi Sabla. Uh, the Dirty Dozen were were the dozen or so podcasts that I completed um, in this a gestational period before releasing them on iTunes. Um, the, all of them, all the interviews can be found at MNMWOD.com or Mobility Mindfulness Work of the Day, MNMWOD.com. And um, this, this podcast with Bonsi, she was a first-year medical student at the time of the recording. She currently is a rising second year, just like myself. Um, I do an, a pretty decent job of introing her uh, during the actual intro of the podcast, which will follow in an unedited format uh, following this intro. And yeah, she's a Jane, she is intelligent, she's young and a medical student. You'll enjoy this conversation a lot. And the reason why I'm posting this now is because I'm on the road. Um, I didn't really find anybody that worked well for the interview um, over the past couple of days on the road. I'm in LA right now. I'm seeing the sun rise over the Rockies, and the mountains, and today I'll see it set over the Pacific for the first time. It'll be great. And my partner and I, and I were heading to a music festival in Bradley, California called Lightning in a Bottle. I'm working with the Zendo Project this weekend. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that after the fact, um, after I've had a little bit of time to process it, because right now I just got the I got the butterflies. I'm so excited. And today is also my birthday. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Woo! Um... And so that's all, all bundled up. That's sort of the reason why we're going back and dipping back into the Dirty Dozen. So this is uh, one of the earlier podcasts, it's a slightly different, rougher interview style, but it's still a great, great interview. We have a couple of interruptions. I did this on my phone. This was done in the GLs of the uh, USF Health Campus, which is uh, sort of like a group learning area, and so lots of activity going around. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation, so sit down. Maybe go on a walk, leash your dog, or unleash your dog if they're that kind of dog that doesn't need a leash. Whatever you want to do. So enjoy. Thank you. Good afternoon. Welcome to Thursdays on Death. This week we sat down with Bansi Savla. Before we talk about that, we'll chat a little bit about my long-form Sunday post this week. Talked a little bit about rearranged gratification. Uh, instead of delayed gratification, uh, a lot of people th- know delayed gratification as when you sort of stop, when you don't eat the cookie now so you can eat the cookie later or you can eat more cookies later. And while that's a great trait to have, I think it's really tough and not necessarily something you want to be flexing all the time or work. You don't want to be working all the time to be doing all these good things for you in the future. And that's what rearranged gratification is. That is trading. Like, sort of rewarding yourself now for doing something awesome for yourself later. So you feel awesome now and later. It's great. So this week I wrote a lot about uh, Rearranged Gratification and The Punisher, one of my favorite comic book characters. um, Frank Castle featured heavily in the second season, a newly released season of Daredevil. And... I'm super stoked to watch him in this live-action adaptation, but unfortunately, I have an exam on Monday. This coming Monday, so I gotta gotta delay gratification by watching this by binge watching this Netflix season uh, after Monday. And as a reward for myself, I am allowing myself to write about the Punisher for my long-form Sundays post. So, boom, all sorts of gratification all around. This week I sat down with Bansi, she is a fellow med student, fellow first year medical student at USF, um, she is tiny, she's very little, she's a little person, um, but she's lovely and I think relatively quickly, um, this year in medical school I identified her as like oh she seems like she's got, she's under, she's got some of these bigger questions under control, and as I got, as I've got, grown to know her more, yeah, she does. She does. She's young. She's she's got a lot, but she's got a lot more under control, like a lot more self awareness, spiritual, or like self transcendence than I did at her age. She's 22 years old, and um, I think if you know Bunsy, this is a really, really interesting look at her because. She's so lovely. She's so positive. She's so happy. She's so bouncy. It's great. And um, it's a great look at a very interesting person. I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of this conversation. We talk a little bit about Jainism. She is, uh, is Jain, and it is a, a, a religion that is not very widely known uh, in Western culture, and it originates from uh, India. I think you'll dig it a lot. Um, just understanding her spiritual background and why she, and and how that sort of affects her. And unfortunately, we were a little bit pressed for time in this conversation. Uh, I don't think it shows too much in the quality of the discussion, but, um, you know, every once in a while somebody will, uh, kind of come in, interrupt us, not really interrupt us, but, you know, just if there's a third person in the conversation in the podcast. So, uh, watch out for that. I think you'll dig this conversation a lot. Um, let Bonsi know how awesome she is and enjoy it is March twenty second, uh, twenty sixteen. I'm sitting here with Bansi. Oh, is it Salva or Savla? Savla. Yeah. Savla. Um, Savla. And uh, we're going to be talking about death. Uh, Thursdays on death uh, through the four prompts. Bansi, what are the four prompts as best you can remember?
1: I really don't know. I couldn't
0: tell you. Okay, well, don't worry. I got them down. I think I got them down now. Okay. Um, So I'll just walk you through them. So the first one, the first prompt is I am dot, dot, dot. Okay. How do you you fill in the blank? I am... I
1: am... I am part of everything. Um, I think that's a really good way to describe who I am um, and kind of how I see myself. Um... I am a part of everything.
0: Part of everything. Yeah. Do you see yourself as a significant part of everything, a insignificant part of everything, an essential part of everything? Like when you say, ev- like ev- what do you mean, like what is everything and what is a part?
1: Okay. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm a big believer in, um, in how the spirits are all connected, right? And so how kind of we make these connections with people, we make these connections with objects, with experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and it kind of depends on where you put your energy into. So it's kind of on a gradient in different things. So it's not like I'm a big part of of one thing or just an, you know, or another thing. It's like, um, it kind of depends on where I'm putting my energy into and it's, it runs on a gradient. So say I expend a lot of emotional energy into one thing invest a lot of time into that, then you know, that kind of increases in my, in my mm-hmm. scale. And mm-hmm. then in, in other things, it's like smaller. So um, it's kind of like how, um, I don't know, the people I s- might s- spend my time around and um, just what I spend my time doing, I think those are kind of what make me, me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. I like that because it it uh, goes along a very similar line where I kind of don't like when people talk about balance or people about balancing things, finding the right balance. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a very static view of what this is supposed to, of what life is like. It sees life as like a scale, and like an ounce will tip it too far. Another ounce will tip it too far in the other direction, and you can never really ever hit perfect balance. Or if you can, everything's totally static. That's not really what life is like. There's a lot of lot of things going on and I like to think of it more as like a dance in within a rhythm. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there are some times where you have to focus a lot on certain things at the expense of others. Um, And there are other times where you can spread that influence out and that like everything can kind of rise, but then there are other times where you have to focus and it's not it's like it's like balance, yes but within imbalance like right. you know like you can't you can't be perfectly spread out because then you're too spread out <laughs> right exactly mm. yeah
1: which is why I kind of describe it the way I am so like there are little parts of me that are that are kind of embedded in everything that I'm'm I'm around um, it's kind of like this like sphere of like energy you know and, like of exactly the sphere <laughs> of and It's kind of like ever growing like a fractal just kind of reaching out to um, whatever it touches you know and so it's kind of like, um, a big part of me is kind of watching that sphere and like being mindful of kind of like where is it ebbing and flowing and like Who am I kind of bringing into my circle of influence and who am I kind of pushing out? And I think that's like that's kind of how I see like the what the soul like that's how that's how mm-hmm. the soul works um, And I think it has a lot to do with um, how I was raised and like my uh, my religious beliefs
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I practice jainism. I've always been practice, practicing jainism since I was a child and um it's it's a lot about um, like not treading on others, like it's all mm-hmm. about nonviolence, and um, kind of being mindful of like what you're putting out into the world, and then what you're bringing into your own circle, um, and so that kind of drives a lot of the, the, the way that I see um, my daily activities, and kind of how that's gonna shape what I'm gonna be in my next life, mm-hmm. um, or like the subsequent lives until you know hopefully we reach nirvana, which is kind of the ultimate goal of Jainism. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of um, so that's why I wanted to talk to you about this today, and because it kind of was a nice avenue of like describing. You know, people ask me what is Jainism all the time, and I always have such a difficult time um, because it's it's very much at the essence nonviolence. That's kind of the basis of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the applicability for daily life, there's just so many teachings and um, so many different things that you can do every day to really live out the the principles of the, the those jewels of Jainism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that's kind of why you brought me here to talk to you about this today.
0: Uh, where does Jainism originate from?
1: So it originates um, in India. It was uh, 500 BC. Like that was kind of like the textbook time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was started by Mahavir Swami. He was um this he was just a normal ordinary human being. You know, just like Jesus Christ was, normally a human being or Siddhartha um for, for Buddhism, but to basically he um he kind of like started this movement and had you know a bunch of followers who kind of. Um, saw how how gentle he was and um, just how loving and kind um, and so that kind of carried on over time and a lot of it um, stemmed into kind of a, an ethical way of being like a philosophy of living rather than just uh, religious tenets and like certain practices. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's been around for a very, very long time, and um, it parallels a lot of other religions. It parallels parts of Christianity, parts of Judaism. It parallels um, a lot of aspects of Buddh- Buddhism as
0: mm-hmm. well. So. And what does the word Jain literally mean?
1: Jain? Um, Jain is, is based on soul, so like Jiv, Jiv means the soul, like atma and soul, so uh, they're kind of go hand in hand, and someone who's Jain is um, very conscious of the soul, mm. and kind of like the, what happens to it um, in the karmic balance. So um, that's basically what Jainism is. It's mm. looking, it's really um, being mindful of um, kind of the karma, you know, the good karma, the bad karma of your soul, and like kind of what makes that up, and what you can do in your life, in, in that current life, to um, bring that balance, kind of to this neutral, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so yeah, that's
0: what James. So you are a part of everything. What else are you?
1: Uh, oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not the million-dollar question. What else am I? I don't
2: know. Um, has anyone ever described
1: themselves as time? No. I'm time. I think I'm. I think that's that's a big part of me.
0: Is, is time. What does it mean to be time? To
1: be time. Okay. Um, it's like a really abstract way to, yeah, <laughs> to describe <it> myself, but <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how I yeah, how I do it. Um, mm-hmm. Which good. is funny because I'm a very like concrete person. If you if you like kind of see the you know the way I am, I'm a very like you know like you look at my my planners and I have like an hour by hour schedule, and then I describe myself in these strange ways. So um, <laughs> I am time. Um, no, it's like
0: there's, there's this idea of like time on the human scale, like time in terms of hours, in terms of seconds, in terms of microseconds, mm-hmm. in terms of months or years, or decades even. Mm-hmm. And then there's this concept of deep time, of, uh, of time beyond imagination, beyond human imagination, mm-hmm. that is the millions of years, the billions of years from the Big Bang to now, from the creation of the Earth to the first ocean from the first ocean to the first speck of life like that like are you are you all of those times are you the deep time are you the human scale time are you something totally a third thing
1: I think here I'm I'm the human scale time I haven't reached kind of that point where I can be the like you know that omniscient time Mm. definition right now I'm kind of this like little piece you know like a piece in history you know like a little little chapter you Mm -hmm. know that's kind of what I am like I'm serving this purpose in this one chapter so I haven't like reached that spiritual level where I can say that okay I'm part of all time Mm -hmm. um, yet you know like maybe a small piece of me is but we're in the here and now in this kind of like human form that I am Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, I think I'm just this little chapter
0: part of everything part of everything Mm -hmm. Yes. and is is the time that you are is it something that can be measured or is it something that can that can only be felt?
1: Hmm. Well, that is a really that's a really good way to think of it. Okay, um, <laughs> you have to give me a second on that.
0: Because mm-hmm. it's a it's a very things. easy thing to measure things, but yeah. um, I'm wondering if by time you also almost almost mean like presence or being experiencing all that there is in that time. Like there's there's the time in terms of like. The, the third party abstract right. measurement, but then there's also time in terms of felt time in terms of like that the time between uh, kisses of a loved one or you know like those kinds of like that. Yeah. that there's like they're, they're both technically time.
1: okay,
0: but one is more experientially based.
1: I see. So okay, so now um, that's that's actually a really good question because I, my hope is to be more of the experience like be defined as time in the more experiential aspect versus the measured aspect because mm-hmm. that's kind of the goal um it's it's very easy to be in this like measured time in the hour by hour which mm-hmm. is kind of you know it's it's rewarded and it keeps you kind of on track but it's like it, looking at it, it gets you stuck in the weeds a little mm-hmm. bit and so I'm kind of working towards drifting to a more experiential time and it's very difficult to do that especially with the schedules that we have now um Absolutely. but I don't know it's like Sometimes you meet people in your life, and they help you kind of pull yourself out of that like hard and fast measurements, and kind of help you see the big p- picture. And um, the more time I'm spending like with those people. Um, I feel like I kind of draw away from that kind of like the easy clock type of thing where mm-hmm. you kind of like it's like an alarm clock you know you're like setting this alarm and it's loud and it's obnoxious and, mm-hmm. but it's you know constantly like okay now I have to do this and then this and then this and so um, kind of trying to steer away from that and go
0: towards more experiential time yeah and the and and monotony or routine is so powerful in setting your mind in the hour-by-hour mindset mm-hmm. and um over spring break i did a really i i spent uh, a couple days at a music festival mm-hmm. and spent all day hanging out by these slack lines and it was a beautiful thing just like yeah the day kind of went by fast but i felt it and i was so happy all day wow. and just playing and just just playing messing yeah. around on these slack lines it was so much fun and watching people it was great and it's a. Uh, it's, like, I think it's, there's something very, very valuable in being pulled away from normal and getting out of those, those like, hour-by-hour hour routines, just because <laughs> yeah. it's the only, you can't, you can't, like, a fish doesn't know what water tastes like in the water. Yeah. It has to be pulled out of the water, in the air, it's like, what is this? And then it's like, oh, water's so good. Yeah,
1: and I think life is full of those opportunities for getting pulled out into that exposure. Like, this past weekend, actually, I went to a music festival as well. Um, Yeah, and so I just danced for, like, five hours. I just, like, Mm. just forgot, like, everything else, and I just, like, let the music move me and didn't think about it, um, and it just... And it was the most beautiful thing. Just really being in that moment, and and mm-hmm. I just hope that like in, in almost everything that I can do, I can I can have that level of presence. Mm. Um, and it's it's difficult because we're very easily distracted people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we also have a very filled schedule, so it's like it's hard to to maintain that presence because you're thinking about okay, what am I going to do with next like forty five yeah. minutes? Like I have so many,
0: so many things, yeah, so many
1: tasks, but. Um, it's just—it's a beautiful thing when you can really take yourself out of that because then things happen. You know, you let things in, mm-hmm. and you let you let things in without, um, you know, fighting it. So.
0: And like trying to make it a thing, right? Uh, rather than just enjoying it as yeah, it is. Exactly. and that's that's what I love about dance so much. Is yeah. it's a very, I—it's so important for I think the health of a human being yes. beyond beyond survival, like beyond Maslow's like hierarchy of needs, like. Dance is like very high on the on like your level of needs, but it's so profound. Like I can you you like you see people when they dance. It's like oh man, you're just you're only thinking about how you look. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yes. you're the you're just so caught up in how do you look compared to other people that you can't enjoy the experience mm. at all. And you know like. I don't know if you've ever have you ever seen Phil our class president dance? Yes,
1: I have. He's Amazing. fantastic. It's it's so it's
0: beautiful. <laughs> like it like in in like every sense of the word, it's watching him dance is so beautiful because he doesn't care. Yeah. And by him not caring, it allows other people not to care and then it just spreads it just like spreads, a ball yeah. from there and it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I had that experience this past weekend. I went with Anthony, my boyfriend, and mm-hmm. both of us are very similar in that we just don't give a crap. We just (laughs) don't. We just want to have fun and that's it. And we went into this thing and no one was dancing. No one was dancing. Mm. Everyone was like on their phones or like off to the side like drinking or socializing, whatever. Um, And then we just got up in there and the music was... You know, the DJ was right there. Music was blasting. We were just ready to rock and roll. And we just started and didn't stop. And then slowly, we kind of felt people coming into our circle. And mm-hmm. and that energy is, like, it's unbelievable.
0: And it's such a... And, like, realizing you're, like, maybe not... Maybe not causing it, but like you're at the center of it. Yeah. It's like a very you're like whoa. What, yeah. is, what is this? <laughs> like yeah, it's very every,
1: intoxicating pull.
0: Yeah. Every once in a while, yeah. you're like kind of like sober up. And you're like, what is what is going on yeah. right now? And then, <laughs> and then you're like, no, let's go back no, in. Let's, let's get keep, back in. Yeah. yeah. Like now yeah, the sun's <laughs> coming out. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So uh, you are time. You are a part of everything. <laughs> Those are two pretty pretty good ones. <laughs> is there a third thing that you are?
1: So I like to think I'm a friend. That's like, mm. <laughs> it's, as it's a simple one, but I, I really like to think that I'm a friend, um, a friend to all, and I, I hope that that's like the
0: energy that I give out. When you say all, what do you mean by all? By all? Yeah.
1: Um, to, <laughs> see, this is this is where it gets this is where it gets a little a little confusing because mm-hmm. um, you know, in the, it's it's hard to say no to things. It's hard to say no oh, to, yes. for me to like, to like toxic relationships or friendships that aren't serving me or. Um, and so, but just the way that I've been raised, and like the way that my family is, like we're still we're very like forgiving type. Like we don't write people off for anything, and you um, always like kind of see the good. Um, and sometimes that can come at an expense, you know. So because uh-huh. people very easily take advantage of that. Um, and so, but I, I still think it's a beautiful quality to have, um, just yes. kind of being a friend to all, and and just seeing trying to see from other people's perspectives, you know, mm-hmm. like. Because there might be someone who, you know, everyone kind of sees as this, like, curmudgeon who, like, doesn't, you know, want to, like, reach out, but then it's like, okay, maybe there's something deeper that, you know, you have to kind of take that time to understand Mm -hmm. from their perspective, so...
0: And um, there is value in it. that experience that that curmudgeon has, like, there is value in that experience. And, like, being able to pull it out is hard. It's very, very difficult. It can be very difficult, Mm -hmm. but it can be also very rewarding.
2: Absolutely. And
0: it's sort of like a... um, while you were talking I was like the 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 difficulty in saying no it's so hard like I can I can see it in you that you're a very like just like let's give everybody a hug <laughs> <laughs> like you have that, I've you have gotten that way, way better
1: I've gotten much more selective but mm-hmm. um, it's it's difficult
0: it's very difficult and people yeah. it's it's like the the within yeah. emergency medicine it's always or first responders it's always responder safety first and it's not a selfish thing it's not like oh you're you're like we want to make sure you're like yeah you want to make sure you're safe but beyond that within the type of person that is drawn to be a first responder there is a tendency to put your safety second and that has benefits if you're talking about running into a burning building to save an orphan or something you know but it also can create problems where you know if you're a first responder and you get hurt now you've and you're trying to rescue one person now you've doubled the people that need help and you've doubled the amount of resources that need to be put into the situation because you weren't it's and it's not like it's it's you got to be it's like being aware that like there's there, there these are there are people that can that when they're drowning they will thrash and they will pull you down out of instinct not out of malice but out of pure panic and instinct and understanding like all right, maybe I can't latch on to this person or maybe I need to like sleeper hold them so they stop thrashing <laughs> and then and then I can pull them back but like yeah. understanding like not not just being a buoy, you're mm-hmm. not just an inanimate object that's a buoy for other people to latch on to.
1: Yeah, I, and I, this thing I've struggled with, it's like the concept of the, um, the Starving Baker. Have you ever heard of the Starving no, Baker? It's, starving baker. It's, so it's, you know, it's, there's Baker's story and um, basically he had this wonderful, beautiful bakery but and everyone was drawn to it and he would just always be making food for other people and then you could see him whittling away into mm. this little nothing. Um, and it's just kind of like Mm -hmm. you have to fight that it's Mm -hmm. so important to fight that because that's that's not leadership then it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like giving, giving, giving without being mindful of okay, you know feeding yourself too because you have to be able to feed yourself in that process, you know Um, but yeah, it's and I think that's a beautiful way to look at it
2: Um,
0: yeah, absolutely like a tree mm -hmm. will not give you apples all year round
1: yeah, yeah (laughs) that's like that's what I'm saying about Mm -hmm. kind of like yes, you are a part of everything but you have to kind of um, measure how much you're putting into each thing, you know, mm-hmm. or like seeing like what's going into your spirit, what's coming out of it. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what I meant by that.
0: It is a very important calculus mm-hmm. that not a whole lot of people do, Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. We'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, so, is there a fourth thing that you are, or should we start talking about death?
1: Let's, let's I'm ready to transition. Right, I think three is a good number. Three, like three. is a good
0: number. Yeah, so, yeah you're, you're time, <laughs> you're part of everything, and a friend. Good, good
1: luck.
0: <laughs> So, Fancy, uh how do you finish the prompt, Before I Die, I Want?
1: Okay. Give oh, mm-hmm. me a moment. Before I Die... Before I Die, I Want Time. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer.
0: Um, well. But what do you mean by that? Do you want, is it, is death something that you're avoiding? Is it that you're doing a holding pattern until something happens? Is it?
1: No, I just meant I need time to think about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I'm not
1: afraid of death. Um, I just feel, I feel like I'm I'm the type of person who will die young. I just kind of see myself in that. And as weird and kind of like dark as that sounds, um, Mm -hmm. uh, before I die, I, I don't really want anything. There's nothing that I, that I do want. Um, I guess what I would want um, is just not to want. That's, I think that's, that's, that's like the, essay. I feel like if mm-hmm. you're, if you're wanting then that you're not doing it right. Mm.
2: Do you
1: know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, what I would want is to not want and to be just completely satisfied in the here and now all the time. Mm. And it's hard to do, right? It's always yeah. hard to, because you're always doubting, but I think it's just a big part is having faith in and kind of the moment and, like the universe, and it's like, okay, like this might feel really shitty right now, but it's probably the best thing that's happening to me right now, you know, mm. for a good reason. So that's what I want before I die: is to not want.
0: Mm. I hear you. If there's that whole like, what would you tell your like tw- like ten year old self? And for me, I don't think I'd tell him anything except it will all be worth it. Yeah. Because. It's like anything else would be setting expectations, but just allowing yourself to be and just not want and not like reaching for that next thing all the time.
1: Yeah, I would tell myself, just do you. You know, don't worry. Exact right. Like, and I, I tell myself that. I have to tell myself that pretty much every day. Like, I have to mm-hmm. wake myself up and be like, Bunce, like, do not compare yourself to anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not okay. First of all, you're just this tiny little piece of, of nothing, and mm-hmm. you don't have any reason to be comparing yourself because everyone is little tiny little piece, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's it's just like do you all the time, every day. Mm. Um, that's kind of the, the mantra. And um, it also um, helps me from, like, stepping on anything else, like, kind of keeps, keeps that whole idea of ahimsa, like the nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just, I don't know, does that make any sense, or it am does. I just rambling? It does,
0: okay. it does. sense. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Now you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I'm not gonna let it slide, that yeah. you think that you, or you have a feeling that you might die early, yeah. die young. Right. Um, is that, so, okay, how old are you? I'm
1: 22. 22. 22. A
0: little bit <laughs> So part yeah. of it is, I'm wondering, because I, 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 fe- I have felt strongly on a very similar path, but I'm, I'm wondering, Do you see yourself dying before, let me put it this way, what will you leave behind? Will you leave a legacy or will you leave a family or both?
1: I think they're the same thing.
0: You think the same thing? Oh, absolutely,
1: yeah. What do you mean? Family is legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's those, it's experiences, it's moments, it's memories, like, that. that's all, that's all one and the same. I don't think there's a difference between the legacy and the family.
0: Mm. So do you think, so is it not, well, then I guess what I'm trying to tease out is, is it important for you to create life yourself? Or is it, or do you want, or do you, do you want the legacy, like, do you understand what I'm kind of trying to dig at?
1: I think, do you mean like something that's more concrete, like a, like an idea or like a you know like a career like do you mean like a career an idea like that kind of thing as far as leaving a legacy behind yeah
0: or like or like like all the interactions that you have like a positive influence on the world or is it like is that where you're is that where you're because if you're if you're trying to if you die young or if you die before you get old Mm -hmm. it's sort of it's it's a quiet implication that to me at least from from my lens um that it is a uh you're putting primary focus on leaving a legacy behind rather than leaving blood a blood family legacy behind. because mm-hmm. that blood family legacy requires, doesn't require presence, but in order for, let's say, like full blooming of that legacy, it, it would be, be it, it's best handled if you're there. Um, whereas if you're talking about a legacy, like an, uh, in the ab- more abstract sense, not in the f- blood body sense, You are talking about, it can be a single act, such as, like, the dude who, like, didn't crash the boat into, uh, didn't crash the plane into the Hudson River. Like, boom, legacy made instantly, you know what I mean? Like Like a a
1: heroic sacrifice. Exactly, like,
0: it can be done in, like, one act and then boom. Or it can be done in, you know, being just the most positive person and when you pass, everybody's really sad. But, you know, do you you understand, like, that kind of, like, there's, there's, there, it, methods there's a there. different method but okay. it's like the blood body tr- legacy is very very different from the idea of spiritual vibrational legacy that you leave behind at mm-hmm. least in my in my uh,
1: i see i see what you're saying okay okay um that's a really good that's a, that's a good question that's... i haven't thought that far like into, I know. <laughs> you know it's hard to think that far when you're like okay i'm i'm in the here and now you know and mm-hmm. so um i would i would say though more most more so the, the spiritual the spiritual legacy i think that's that's just more of a value to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that can manifest um, in the family, in, in like a bloodline um, type of idea. But as of now, you know, it's it's definitely more of a spiritual type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and and I, I do I do see like the, the positive, I do see the benefits of that. Um, you know, like really putting an emphasis on that and taking the time to kind of build those... Um, just build myself spiritually i think that's really really important to do Mm -hmm. um rather than kind of like building my dominion you know (laughs) i just i I don't think that that's as important
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense it's sort of like you're not like what like um, along the build the dominion sort of line it's like you want to be a good person before you become king you don't you don't want to be king and then try to become a good person right
1: right absolutely that is huge that's huge it starts at the the grassroots Mm -hmm. um that doesn't have to be, you know, like, collecting friends or, like, you know, being the most popular or, like, anything like that. Like, that's not that's not the idea. That's not the
0: goal. Mm. So, you want to not want before yes. you die. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there something else?
1: No, that's it. That's it? Oh,
0: good, strong answer. Good, strong answer. <laughs> um, so then, let's move on to when you die.
1: Okay.
0: When you die, what do you want?
1: When I die, what do I want? Wow, it was, it's interesting you're asking me this because um, I, I had a lot of experience with death. Um, when I was in high school,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, not not personal, like no family deaths or anything like that. Um, I had a cat who died when I was in middle school. I was really mm-hmm. sad. Um, but um, I volunteered at hospice. Um, very frequently. I spent mm-hmm. three years there, and I was I was there maybe three or four times a week. Um, seeing patients, and mm-hmm. it was it was. It's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot and um, all different types of personalities. Some people had families, some people had no one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it's it, it's always the people who um, who didn't feel like they had anything missing like and they they were never the people who, you know, were big business people. A robust career some of them were
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but that wasn't the kind of underlying theme of those people who were very at peace it was the people who were very spiritually at peace um, the people who felt like they had made the most of kind of their time um, spiritually um, you know wh- no matter what like religion they were in or they were practicing or um, if even if they didn't have religion just if they felt like very at ease with like the universe and like or whatever god they believed in I think that was kind of the underlying theme of what Made them at peace. So um, that's I guess that would be for me too. It's just kind of being at peace with myself. Um, that's all I would really want. Mm. And part of that is not wanting anything throughout the process. You know, because mm. I think if I'm if I'm always uh, craving something, like always wanting more, um, wanting to be better. You know, like it, it, we don't have to be better. You know, there's no there's no reason we should be this kind of abstract better. That doesn't mean anything. You know. Mm. Um, I think the best, if quote-unquote, best way we can kind of exist is to just not, you know, not have that caliber for ourselves. It's, it's not necessary, and it just makes us crazy.
0: You're mm-hmm. um, always going to be somebody faster, somebody oh, F- stronger, yes. somebody smarter. Mm-hmm. Always that.
1: Yeah, but that's not the point, right?
0: Mm-mm. Little baby. There's a, there's a baby out in the that's hallway. That's <laughs> a doctoring
1: preceptor's little kid. Oh, yeah. so cute. So cute. Aww.
0: Sorry, how are you doing in time? Oh, we uh, we it's uh, we're at like forty-two. Oh, great! So we're pretty time. good. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So let's let me let's unpack that just for a little bit. Sure. Cause I've never spent that much time in a, I've never spent any time in a hospice okay. or really around the elderly in in mass I guess like yeah. massive elderly people. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um,
0: but like I've never it's but it's I I have this like there's this this idea that I have of um, like what do you what will you do if the apocalypse happens, if you're the last person on Earth, mm-hmm. what will you spend your days doing? Like, will you read every day? Will you go and work out every day? Will you cook a meal? Will you uh, write poetry? Like, what will you do when nobody will ever know what you're going to do and nobody cares and there's nobody to know? And I love that. Oh. I, th- I think of it almost like, like what you were describing at the hospice is almost sort of, a, it's like a shade of that. When everybody is sort of in the hospice, Everybody is sort of equalized like sure you you can have socioeconomic differences, but everybody's more or less like on the same train Yeah, and when everybody's equaled out like that like It will show in just their actions and how they act like where they're at in terms of like Have they figured out what is that thing that they want to do like you know like what are the like? What are those basic level things rather than Mm -hmm. the just? interpersonal just like hierarchical basis of things
1: Okay, so you're saying, like, what is the essence of my being, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you level the playing field when nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think i found that yet, like, knowing exactly what I physically want to be doing all, mm. all the time. Um, just, I don't know, whatever whatever is my calling at the moment, you know, at, at that point. And that's kind of how it is now, too. It, it I, I don't really see myself, like, trying to follow some kind of, like, protocol, um, or at least I try not to follow any kind of protocol. It's kind of, like, let the hand of... God or universe, whatever, kind of push me into that direction, Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how I would be anyway. Um, If it was an apocalyptic time, like, kind of (laughs) listening to that, like inner, like whoever it is talking through me, and be like, okay, do that. Mm -hmm. So,
2: and also,
0: I mean, honestly, in all honesty, like some people wouldn't, they couldn't thrive in that situation because they, they, a lot of what makes them who they are is interacting with other people. So that apocalypse scenario works really well for me because I am a very like kind of individual, mm. solitary, mm-hmm. but I can work well with others, yeah. but the bulk of my work is done alone. So it's like very it's, it's all cuz I was thinking about it. It's like I don't know if that's an appropriate uh, for you, like apocalypse scenario, like it is, but it isn't, you know. Like,
1: yeah. Oh, I can resonate with that absolutely, and I, mm-hmm. and that, that's how I see myself now. Like you know, I, I invest time in other people, but if I don't exist because of other people. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Like the things that I do, things that drive me, aren't because of what other people like. You know, because I care for you know, I care for others, but it, they don't drive what I do.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not, they're the audience, but they're not. You're like they're not. They're writing not the conductor, right? Yeah. Exactly. One second, Jasmine is poking in. Hello, Jasmine. Can I, like, turn on the yeah, you can. Of course, do
1: your thing.
0: Yeah, you can. Just having a little conversation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't need to, like... <laughs> no, it's all, right. it's, all
0: it's all right, do your thing.
1: It's very organic. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So, yep. is there another thing that you want when you die to not... to You want to be at peace? Is yeah. there is there anything else? No.
2: No? no I'm just you want to be at
0: peace? I think
1: it's pretty simple, Yeah. I don't know.
0: Have you thought about, like, how you want to pass? Have you thought about... Oh,
1: like, my ash should be, like, blowing away. No, like, no, like, like the actual moment start. Oh, of the actual moment? Um, I don't know. Uh, wow, that's, that's really... That's, that's
0: tough. That moment is tough. Because it's a moment that nobody you have ever talked to has ever experienced. Yeah. It is... We've expe- we've all experienced the opposite of it, mm-hmm. which is when you wake up for the first time, yeah. but nobody has ever gone to nobody that you know has ever gone to bed for the last time, and that's a very weird thing, you know. Like you don't have anybody else to ask about this stuff.
1: This is really weird to say, but I hope um, I hope that it's it's in laughter. I hope I'm laughing.
0: Mm. That's what I
1: really hope. I think that'd be really cool, but mm-hmm. to feel that, you know,
0: because mm. it's. There is something ecstatic about like true deep laughter, yeah. and almost, and almost in that like sort of like high level like spiritual or, like orgasmic. There's something about yeah. it that that is transcendent of self, and it's like it's you can hear it, it when somebody laughs, and the other people laugh, it spreads, and it's 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 this like you know when there's tension in a room, you can either relieve it by like laughter, or everybody can cry, and it's like usually more fun to laugh. I hope
1: it's laughter, yeah. You know? And I hope that that's kind of how it is. Like you know, it, for those like who you know, in, in the physical realm, who I'm leaving behind, I hope that that's how it is too. I'd want, I'd want laughter. I want celebration, like dance. That's what
0: mm, I would want. <laughs> and <the> laughing, dance. <laughs> yeah, I can see that.
1: I mean, both of them are just those like you know, physical manifestations of something much deeper
0: mm-hmm. so. yeah. there's I mean there are altered states of consciousness yeah. where you're not like Bonsi driving to trap, driving through traffic you're a yeah. that is like the bonsi yeah uh, at least uh, for me it at feels the like the Eugene oh, like, yeah. When I'm dancing and laughing and like it's a different Eugene mm-hmm. yeah.
1: oh yeah it's a beautiful thing
0: what about after you die what do you want
1: after I die Oh well, I hope long term would be to break that cycle of birth and death and birth and death, um, but I would hope for another another adventure, you know.
2: Another adventure. Yeah, mm. I mean, because
1: that's that's the idea, right? Reincarnation. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not perfect now, and I I don't I don't think that my next life will be, you know, I, I don't think I'm gonna break the cycle right now. That, that takes a lot. That takes a lot more <laughs> steps, um, and then there's kind of this like like time cycle, and like we have this thing called the kundalini chakra, and there's like times of like pure happiness and joy at the top and we're kind of at this like low point right now you know according to history um, Jane history but um, you know hopefully over time after the life cycles kind of go up and I get that upward swing at some point I can reach that point uh, where I'm breaking the cycle but for now I just hope for another adventure um, you know spreading my, my fractals further mm-hmm. <laughs> my spiritual fractals mm-hmm.
0: there's a there's a story um, that I forget what it was called. I think it's called the egg, but it's this idea that like there's one. Yeah, it's it's very very similar to Jane thought and reincarnation, where where at the like there's this one dude he dies and at the end of his life he's talking to, I think what he sees as God and he's having this conversation and he's just realizing that he's lived every single life, at, like he has been every person. He was he was every person killed in every genocide. He was every every Hitler in the world and, like, all of that at the same time. And, like, he's getting, and then at the end of the story, he's getting ready for another adventure. He's just like, all right, let's do this. Next
1: chapter, yeah.
0: Yeah. That would be incredible. Mm.
1: And then by the end of all that, I would like to know, like, I I, I would like to see, like, all of my lives kind of in sequence, like a book, you know? (sighs) I think that would probably be the ultimate gift. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of seeing, like, how how I changed and grown and kind of had my falls and my my upward swings. Kind of remember at the beginning of the year we did that in um, in prologue. We had that timeline of like the ups and the downs. I'd like to see that kind of holistically from from the beginning of my existence, spiritual existence, to like the very end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I guess that's what I would want. It'd be kind of cool to have a little a little souvenir. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> for, the, for the and you're like sentence. you're like
0: I almost made it here. <laughs> I <almost laughs> so
1: it. That was so close cool. and then I messed it all <laughs> up. <laughs> right and then and then you know you can smile down and like laugh and and and, like see like this people you know like in the physical realm kind of making those same mistakes or like Mm. doing things better than you did i think that's a really cool thing too
0: (laughs) Mm. is there anything else you want after you die
1: i think those two things just like omniscient knowledge (laughs) right yeah. The ability to like see all the things ever mm-hmm. and be like, okay, this is where all the holes are. Because that's another thing. Right now, you know, we, in science, in in spiritual spirituality, like we don't know the ultimate truth. Okay, and so um, I want that. That's what I want. I want ultimate truth. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Just like just okay. I've been patient. Yeah. Just please tell me everything. Tell me all like, the things. Show me that <laughs> magic trick that you just did. Yeah. and Break it down like five times. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. So, in uh, in conclusion, yep. do you have any final words to the audience? Any less, less last bits of wisdom? Anything that you just want to get out that hasn't really quite mm. been mentioned so far?
1: Any final words? I really are talking about death. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, Advice? Oh, I don't know if I'm really qualified to give advice. <laughs>
0: that's all right. What um, do you, or what would you like? What would you say to that younger Bunsy? To
1: the younger Bonsies, um just enjoy the ride. That's it. You know, enjoy the ride. Do you? Because you know that's that's what matters. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Simple. Solid. Simple, I mean, solid. in line with what you've been saying yeah. so far, right? <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> So I think we finished right on time. Awesome! Thank you so much. You thank weeks. you so much. This is This was great. I, I was very excited to have you on because I'm like yeah, I think she's got some stuff. <laughs> on. I think she fin- I think she'll be a good guest. And you thank didn't you. disappoint. It was great, and um, I'm really glad because you know future people that are listening through my phone will will have a, a little bit of a different lens on you, and I think it's a good lens, I a very so good too. lens. So thank you very much, once Thank Ponsy.
2: you. Thank you. This has Pleasure. Been Thursday's on deck. <laughs>